everybody. Welcome to the Almost Good Podcast, the movie podcast hosted by David James Keaton. That's him. Hey, Dave. Hey. And J. David Osborne. That's me. Hi, everybody. Today on the show, we are going to talk about two movies that we watched back-to-back, marathon style. We're going to talk about Between Worlds, a new Nicolas Cage movie that is uh, definitely something. Something's going on there. And The Silence, which is about, uh, tell me if you've heard this one before, it is about uh, monsters that uh, kill you based on sound, so everybody has to be really quiet. I can't really place it uh, where I've heard this <laughs> before, but there's some, there's some controversy about that. We'll get into it. I know that <clears throat> all of you are, you know, just chomping at the bit right now to, to let me know this one, the silence came first. I know, I know. We will talk about that all in good time, but first, I wanted to bring something up. Um, that's actually related to movies. So Dave and I run in circles of um, other writers, right? And it can be uh, interesting, to say the least. I mostly now, uh, on social media, I mostly just keep my mouth shut about this kind of stuff. Uh, I save it for the pod, right? So that you can hear my voice and hear that I am a you know completely non-threatening dumbass whose opinion really shouldn't be listened to, right? Uh, but basically right now, uh, a lot of authors are beginning to notice that um, people who work for film companies are sort of hitting them up and sort of asking them if they have rights available to whatever. Uh, it's that season, right? It's, uh, it's festival season. So people are trying to find, they're looking for properties to option, basically. Uh, and it happens every once in a while. Um, once you're cool and jaded like me, uh, you just kind of like, oh, another one? <laughs> Not really. But uh, you kind of, you know, it's exciting, but you sort of look at it realistically. And you're like, okay, what are our next steps? What do we have to do? Blah, blah, blah. But it's led to an interesting trend that I've noticed on social media of writers <laughs> being like uh, a vague booking, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> Hollywood has has responded to my to my clarion call, right? That like that all these people two, are sort two of words, Two words for you. Hollywood. <laughs> and it's just kind of one of those things. I think it kind of broadens out into a topic that Dave and I talk about a lot, which is um, there is this sort of like fascination with having your book turned into a movie, right? And that is super <clears throat> appealing. I mean, I, I would love that. I know. I'm sure you would too, right? Um, well, I used, to, I used to be very excited about it, but now it's it's weird where it seems to be the... It's like people feel like they've really made it if something becomes a movie. And I think we're in interesting times where that means less and less and less, if that makes any sense. It does. It totally. Well, it's kind of, I mean, that you, you brought, when we talked about this earlier, you brought up a really good point, which is that now that there's, you know, POD and, you know, anybody who, uh, is just halfway comp i mean i'm not even halfway competent and i have a press uh can sort of have one right it, the the down the upside to it is that obviously a lot of books that otherwise would not get published that sometimes have a lot of good in them they get published right but the downside to it is is that it kind of takes away uh 
a little bit of that special feeling that I think we were all hunting after, right? Because basically in a game, there have to be winners and losers, right? And before POD, there were people who just never got anything published, for better or for worse, right? You should probably give them some context about this, the, the POD bubble that happened with publishing. Oh, like, yeah, uh, no, for d- sure. Define it for everybody. Okay, like, so if, if, if you're not aware, before... Um, when did POD sort of come on the scene? Was it like 2005, 2006, something like that? Well, it definitely it definitely existed back when I worked at a couple different bookstores in the late 90s. The, oh, it's okay. always it's always okay. been there. It's just never okay. been utilized to this extent where right. people love, you know, through like Create Space and Lightning yeah. Source, people found a way to put their creative work into it. Usually, print on demand. When I was working at Barnes and Noble and working at Borders. Like it meant – no, it meant uh, – it usually meant some sort of technical uh, journal or some very specific thing. Like there was one POD book I remember uh, – well, I remember because I bought it. It was called If We Can Keep a Human Head Alive. That's cool. <laughs> and, That's pretty cool. And I thought this is going to be amazing and I crack it open and it's nothing but charts and <laughs> fucking numbers yeah like oh this is really somebody's trying to figure out how to keep a head alive i thought it was going to be talking about the ethics of it or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that was a that's a very typical pod special that we would somebody would order it and we'd have to tell them this is print on demand and uh it's going to cost 59.99 uh-huh, right and and it might come in and um a little later than normal. So it's kind of the opposite of what it is now. Yeah. You know, it was a hard to get kind of deal. We couldn't keep them on the shelf because we couldn't return them. So it was, so the prices were pretty high. Right. Um, right. Well, so basically before POD, you had what we think of as a normal publishing model where you had big presses, indie presses, what have you. They would do something that's called an offset run. So they would basically get a book, say you're working for, uh, or you have a book contract with like a big five, you know, they would do something called a get out. And a get out is basically going to bookstores and other kind of distributors and hyping the book up saying, we predict that we're going to sell, let's say 30,000 copies, right? Now, what that meant was that they probably expected to sell between five and 10. But what they were trying to do is they were trying to get bookstores to order them so that they could make an educated guess at how many of them they wanted to print because they would actually work with real, uh, I I say, just go with me when I say real, uh, by real, I mean non-POD, they would go with what's called offset printers. So they would actually have to print off a certain amount of books. And if they got that number wrong, I mean, that's why you would see, you know, about a year after a book's release, it would be in like a Borders or Barnes and Noble, you know, bin for like $7. Because at that point, they're trying to get rid of all the stuff that they couldn't sell from their initial offset run. Okay. So that was kind of how it worked. And it was a very, it was a much more, um, there was gatekeepers, basically. It was a much more difficult thing to get into. You had to, you didn't have to get an agent, but you kind of did. You had to go through all the typical channels. It usually took a couple of years for your book to come out. <clears throat> all that changed. I'm going to go ahead and, I mean, I know that it existed before then, but the first people I saw to really do this were the folks at Eraserhead Press who decided to use a company called Lightning Source, which basically what Lightning Source is able to do is when an order is placed for a book on Amazon, they're able to sort of print off, they usually print off three to five of them and ship it to Amazon's warehouse. So it's kind of, as soon as it's ordered, it's printed. That's what print on demand means. 
And signing up for these Lightning Source accounts, which I have one that's sort of a holdover. I, I don't think I would have used it if anything else existed at the time. But Lightning Source basically costs about, it's about 25 bucks a month. They keep a cut of every book that's sold. And yeah, they make money, just you upload these files. And then again, whenever people want a book, it's printed automatically and sent out there. So what that did was it completely revolutionized the way that publishing works because now all of a sudden you have all these indie presses pop up and there were some, you know, there's some really great ones. There's Lazy Fascist and places like that that were putting out this really, really great work. But of course, as with everything, there's a dark side. And it's not to say that crappy books didn't get published before POD, but now it's one of those things where sort of any, literally anybody who wanted to publish could do so very, very quickly. If it wasn't on Lightning Source, they could use Lulu or CreateSpace or something like that to sort of like put their book out there. And so what we're talking about is like some of that specialness went away, right? It was no longer like, I'm an author, you know? It, right. it just, it, I don't know how else to put it. It just, it felt less cool. I When yeah. I first had my book come out, I was really stoked about being an author and then it actually got to the point where I would have conversations with people and I'd say, oh, I'm a writer or whatever. They'd be like, me too. And, you know, I'd think like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, where, where did your book? And they would name some, you know, press somewhere that used POD to put their book out. So there was kind of a home for everybody. And I think what you're saying about movies is that that's kind of what's in, more or less beginning to happen with movies. It feels like there's almost print-on-demand movies at this point. Right. Yeah. There's a, the content is, uh, if, I don't know if anybody's ventured into the bowels of Netflix or Amazon prime or Hulu, but we're only seeing uh, the tip of the iceberg as far as what's on there. Like, it seems like there's not a lot on there because there's not a lot of quality on there. Uh Right. Um, I know that there's a lot of good movies on Netflix and there's a couple classics, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think we pointed it out a few episodes ago that, if you want to watch a movie from before like 1990 or 1980, it's not on there. Mm-hmm, there there's some, there's some, obs- uh, there, there's some, um, definitely some probably, uh, there's some seventies classics, but as far as, um, as far as getting down to 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, not a lot of new Hollywood, um, the shit's just not there. So, but what you do have is hundreds of pages of things that you wouldn't even, no one could possibly explain to you what they are. Mm-hmm. They all, they all have titles. They all have a little thumbnail and they all have people in them and they all seem to have a plot. Um, but no one's ever heard of them. I can't imagine everyone or anyone ever watches them. Mm-hmm. I imagine that for some of those, when you go like 10 pages deep into Netflix is just random selection of, say, horror movies or thrillers. Uh, I can't imagine anybody ever clicks on some of them. I yeah. think that they, I think that they're there just um, to make content. Mm-hmm. So they got them for a song or whatever. You know, they they yeah. paid somebody like a thousand bucks to have it for five years, something like that. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, uh, like you just said earlier, that movies got a little, a little less special. They got they they're no longer a a, a theatrical experience they're no longer they don't have a they don't have a, a, a vision you know um, and that's always been kind of the case but it's never they've never been cranked out this quickly as far as um, I can remember I mean the content that's showing up it'll say just uh, just added on prime 
and I'll scroll through and I'm like, what are these 50 dog shit movies and where did they come from? Who made them? Who are these real? You know, I keep waiting for, cause there's some of those instances you saw on, uh, Amazon with books where you click on it and you're like, what is this? And it turns out it's only three pages long. Oh, right. And then it's some sort of scam. But like, these are, these are 80 minutes of something, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's something on there. And so, yeah. So the point is like, it, it's kind of, um, when I, when we see all these people talking about their things getting optioned or Hollywood's come calling, um, that's what's happening is something less interesting. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and we're here to stomp on those dreams if we yes, can. Yes, yes. See, the thing is, the thing about this podcast is that we hate it when people are happy, but we double hate it when they're happy for the wrong reasons, right? So, so you know, but, that's, and that happened to me too. The same, you just said they've they've come knocking on your door. Yeah, I've had uh, I I fucked it up so bad. I had somebody try to um, option me an option that makes any sense it doesn't somebody somebody came uh somebody contacted me about uh pig iron wanted to make it into a movie okay um and we talked about uh you know what there was a contract and there was uh the back ends and front ends and you know it sounded kind of like the guys from primer trying to explain Mm. you know how time travel worked and uh when all said and done i just figured well i'm gonna get something up front because it sounds like this back end near as I can tell, nobody ever gets any money out the back end. So, um, it was going to be a $500 option. And, uh, he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. It sounds, sounds right. sounds reasonable. So I'm going to give you a couple $250 payments for the option. Um, but it's going to be a longer than normal option. We're going to do three years instead of one. And I thought, I don't, I don't give a shit. Nobody else wants to do that movie right now Mm -hmm. or ever. Who knows? And, um, about, the money didn't show up. And then about six months later, he says, oh, yeah, we're just getting the financing together. So as soon as that happens, then we'll, you know, pull the trigger on the option. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? So the, so mm-hmm. the, the three years starts once you get the financing together. Mm-hmm. So it sounds that so that sounds to me like I'm waiting. He optioned my option. You know what I yeah, mean? I like, know what you, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, he kind of like put that option in his back pocket. And, it, and it's one of those things, too. I mean, this is a big thing that I've had, you know, friends who work, you know, in the industry have told me it's like it's always a bad sign if somebody can't just pony up 500 bucks, right? Like if, yeah. they, if they can't find $500 like right out the box to, to give you for an option that's three years, what makes you think that they are going to be able to secure – you know, the two or $3 million it would cost to actually make the movie, you know, right. it's just, it's just not, it's not realistic. They have to, think, they have to come to you with exactly some numbers, what the man. Was. I think that's exactly what the contract said. The budget was going to be, it was like 2 million. Um, and you know, like this, they, people can learn from our pain. Like I immediately told everyone who would listen, Hollywood come a calling, mm-hmm. you know, guess what? Right. I got, I optioned this book and, uh, and then I start to realize, because then things started to kind of pile up like that. I had somebody contact me about stealing propeller hats from the dead, which I thought was unusual because it's a collection of short stories. And they're like, we want to um, option this and put it in a database where directors can browse right, for right, possible right. things. And I and on the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you're going to put what in the database? I hope all <laughs> excuse me, all these short stories. Like what? What are you actually interested in? <clears throat> And then I start to realize that somebody's out there just 
you know, throwing darts at a map. Like nobody mm-hmm. yeah. is really looking at anything. Well, that's kind of like that's kind of the the starting point that I go off of. You know, I've met some uh, I've met some people like the people who I'm talking to right now seem fine. I mean, I don't have a problem with them or anything like that. It's just that sort of over time, um, my my brother used to work for uh, the Weinstein Company. Dun dun dun. And uh, this was obviously before all the stuff, but he was there as an intern. He was he was doing something called running coverage, right? Which is basically a script comes in, and uh, he, Andrew would say kind of yes or no, right? Um, and he was like kind of the first line of defense. But it makes me sort of wonder. Okay, so those those movies that come in, those have all been optioned, right? So I'm thinking there's a comp- there's a company there who has whose job it is to sort of collect options in a way, and then they right. take those things that they've optioned, like you said, with this database. And they start funneling those things into actual production companies like the Weinstein Company or like, uh, you know, A24 or something like that, right? So basically, I think what you're, what you're normally talking to is you're either talking to an independent person who wants to get something done or, uh, and I haven't talked to one of these people in a while, or you're talking to what I tend to think is probably an intern somewhere who yeah. is kind of yeah. like whose boss has told them like hey get me uh get me three cheap options by the weekend or or you're done here and they're like uh 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 you know and they they go on it cuz so, sometimes these things will just be like you know hello our uh, rights yeah, like, I, like I got one email from a guy who seemed really cool and it was clear that he had read the book right and he knew what he was talking about uh but I've gotten them like you know in the past where it's just like of course, I'm not going to quiz these people on the books, but you get the impression that they, that they just it's that they're not that they're not sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. That they're kind of yeah. like, you know, maybe they've read it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but, you're, that's the that's the tragedy is that just like you described, I had I had the exact same experiences that you described. I had one where it was an indie guy who seemed to be very familiar with all the material and excited about it for the right reasons. Um. And then the other one seemed to be some sort of robot. (laughs) And but sadly, the robot seemed to be the better shot. Interesting. Uh, Okay. Like it it seemed like that was at least that was getting closer to the giant soulless machine. Mm -hmm. Whereas the whereas the good hearted, well-meaning independent filmmaker, um, like I said, didn't seem to be able to get it together to start the process. Um, both of them ended up in the exact same place, which is nothing. Yeah. Nothing ever happened. It's been well, and I mean, and I three, don't, three years later. So I think um, that sometimes things do come of this, but I tend to think just from, again, from the stories that I've heard, the way that these things get made um, is you, ha- I think you have to normally start from like a few rungs up the ladder, right? You got to be talking to somebody kind of directly who like but uh but yeah no so i mean i think that uh i think we covered that pretty well now you had you'd given me a, a cryptic word that you wanted to talk about on this on this podcast and and you wanted to talk about negativity oh, so i wanted oh, to bring shit. that up i i i'm so gonna, i find it so compelling because i, I you love gonna, it do you want to talk about my negative energy my my yeah. negative that's all I've been hearing about lately is my negativity. Okay, go for it. Rant. Well, no, I just, I don't know if I have, I don't 
I'm so negative. I don't even have a rant in me. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I can't even, I just, I, I don't get all these. Let me see if I can verbalize it. Like I find something very negative about oppressive positivity. Yes. Yes. Okay. Speak on it. So, okay. So that's what I, that's what I think is, I think that is dangerous. That's, that's what I find negative. So I don't know how I come across, whether when I'm talking to somebody or whether I'm typing something into social media, but I feel like everybody thinks of me as the negative guy. Uh-huh. And I don't get it because things I'm ripping on are usually things that I love quite a bit. Yes. So people can't, I think it's, this might be a generational thing, mm-hmm. you know, the, the uh, the cynicism that's not very fashionable these days. People just don't like that vibe. I don't know, but I just think that relentless positivity is dangerous. I also think it's I think relentless fake positivity is even more dangerous. Like this thing you're talking about with the with you know all these people pretending like they're on the verge of Hollywood success, um, and it's all this stuff is like. And we're not even talking about the proven studies with with you know FOMO and the, the you know the depression that comes from people soaking up too much social media fantasy land. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like right. that's al- that's already proven that that makes people upset, that that depresses people. I'm talking about like nonstop positivity slash fakery slash bullshit slash scolding, which is like couched in this oh. positivity as well. Like the scolding, the scolding's the worst to, part, man. To, to some other people, online scolding is a positive force, right? They think that is them, that is somebody doing something good, but all that stuff seems perpetrated by the same kind of people who seem to be like, by all accounts, upstanding, progressive, liberal-minded people—people people that agree with everything that I would probably agree with. So why are they such a fucking scourge? Like, why do they ruin my day? I don't get it. Like, I've, maybe I've already decided that I hate so many people on one side that now my focus is now on like-minded people. But there's something about their positivity that kicks it up a notch, that right. makes it even rougher. Like, like the people that the people, somebody who takes like every day to you know thank think they're God or the inspiration or their favorite authors for their fucking POD special for their print on demand special that sold three copies, you know, if it's lucky and those people and with all the, like we're saying all the publishing news that they can't talk about yet. And all the ones, you know, the, I know the, the ones you love, the photos of contract signings, you love those. I that's fucking a, love them, dude. It's like, wow, so, look at you. And that's a positive thing. Like here's, <laughs> right. here's somebody saying like, look at this, Here, I'm signing a contract. And you see that and you just, you start to seethe, you know, and that's that positivity or people, here's another, like people snapping pictures of loved ones in hospital beds and soaking up all the prayers and hearts and likes. Yikes. And that's, that's the like, grossest one, right? That's like some, some fucking digital Munchausen by proxy shit, dude. Dude, I had some, I had a real, I had a real thing. Like when, when my grandmother was dying, I, I like, I did have the urge to post about it on social media, 
but I I just kept that shit in check. I'm like I I can't do it. It felt ugly. It felt gross. And and that's and to some people that's positivity. And me shitting on that is negativity. So that's that's fucking fantasy land. That's like we're upside down. I don't know what people are talking about. Like and you can you know I I've, I've getting scared that sad music is going to appear on this when it's finally broadcast. <laughs> but I don't care. It's like this furious circle jerk and ass kissing that's like this trickle up economics you know it's like always exhausting and it's always this positive quote positive energy but all but only like trickling up to anyone they perceive as more successful or like you know or or you know guys sucking up to the has-beens for the pat on the head or the, the 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 quote notable story placement in best american whatever you know so they can take a picture of that and you've got you know these animal and environmental lovers who something that all sane people are for, right? All sane people are for a love of the environment or animals, but then they're filling the feed with like fucking animal cruelty shit and turtles with straws up their nose. And it's like, that's, that's their positivity. Like that's their good cause. That feels like a negative force. Like I don't want to see a fucking animal being murdered because you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that is the right side of things. People People who show animals getting uh, tortured or murdered get like an automatic block for me. And also, by the way, if I see them in person, they get at the very least a stern talking to. Because Dude, like, how dare you? How dare you like throw that shit in my face? Like that's right. that's obnoxious. And it's not the same. I know that like the environmental um, people are not the same. But after the 45th time, somebody... It's very rarely it's very rarely somebody who's actually into environmentalism. And that's the thing is that these people are like tourists and all this shit, right? Because yeah, they, they don't might, actually give a shit about one cause. They don't give... They, they might, in their own life, give a shit about their dying relative. And they might give a shit about turtles with straws up their noses. But what they really give a shit about is doing it for the gram. Doing it for the fucking gram. Yeah, and so they're tourists and they all these grievances shit. and positivities, and they wear these things like uh, garments, basically clothes, right? Like, oh, today I'm going to be the guy who's really right. upset about kids in cages, you know, which is something that's fine to be upset about. But I'm sorry, you, know, you don't – there are people who dedicate their lives to one or two things and try to make the world a better place, and you can't be a little, uh, you know – jack of all trades when it comes to airing out like every grievance that comes across your timeline you know yeah, can just, you imagine being concerned with that with like having to like what's my what, what's today's thing what's i gotta make sure i i'm mm-hmm. on the I'm, I'm a positive force i'm right. a force for positivity well, wanna, in this world but no go ahead I, go ahead no i mean that was just it i just you know i just want to scream i just want to say like well, you know i get it you love you love the earth you love animals you know yeah, we, we are yeah. all we are all anti-landmine you know to go back to this thing that made no sense two shows ago we all agree landmines are bad Mm -hmm. so why so if you we all like these same things right we all agree on these things then why are these people why does it seem to me that there's such hateful skulls like why are they i feel this hate coming off these positive people there's something hateful you know and i know the to them it's like you know hey positivity something something raises all ships but i just think fuck you i i just want to shit all over this quote positivity and to them i'm a negative force i'm the negative energy but like i feel like i'm the only positive force out there you know what i did today man and there's a pot go ahead oh i was gonna say i was gonna say you, you know what i did today i was uh i was at work and i went into work and i always i wake up in the morning 
about six or seven o'clock and I feel great. I'm a morning person. So I, I wake up, I feel great. And then after about two hours or so, like some, some bullshit has like annoyed me or whatever, you know, cause mm. I guess I'm also not a morning person. So I go into work today and my coworker, this guy who's been my friend for 13 years. Like I love this guy to death. He walked in today and he started bitching about something that I had done wrong just immediately. Like as soon as he walks in, he's talking shit. Right. And again, I love this person to death, but I was like, dude, I don't give a shit. And he was like, what? And I like exploded, you know, like I got in this dude's face and this is, this is just because I know that we're friends. Right. I'm not naturally like a, an Uber confrontational person. Right. But I, I knew that this, that this eventually we'd kiss and make up, but I got in his face and I was like, I'm not fucking dealing with your fucking shit today. So just leave me the fuck alone. Don't say shit to me. And he was like, I don't want to talk to you either, you know? <laughs> and then we went our separate ways and we sat in our corner all day stewing about it. And then later on, I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, too. And then we were fine again, right? But you know how good it felt to just let that out? You know what I mean? To just be able to... A little negativity? To just you be little, honest with this dude. Like just you put a little, ne- fucking, you put a little ne- negativity into the world. You fucking piss me off, and I'm going to tell you about it. Now, again, I don't go doing this to strangers, obviously. This is something I think that should be done in a controlled environment. But it makes me think about something I tweeted today where I was basically... So basically, I think they're, we're talking about it, and people talk about it as though it's a binary. There's positive people, and there's negative people. I would put that in a different way. I would say that there's positive people and then there's what I would consider negative people are people who go into other folks' uh, statuses or blogs or tweets specifically to shit on them, right? You see it all the time. You see people show up to just like pop people's bubbles and just be that asshole. That's negativity, okay? Now, what I think you and I are talking about, though, is that we like shit that feels honest and funny. And so sometimes, sometimes honesty is positive, right? If you're having like an honest moment with your wife and your kid and you post about it and it's just pure, okay, you're being honest and you can tell that you're being honest. However, if the very next post is you talking shit about like the silence or something, that's also honest because we're people, right? And we have these different varying emotions. And so... You and I are really good at this. Most people who are my close friends are really good at this. But we're good at picking up on when people are full of shit or not. And well, I that's think, what bothers us. I think us. I am. Like, I can't prove it. I've always claimed that I have a perfect bullshit detector. But I, I th- when I think back to, like, the first problems I had, say, back in high school with friends of mine, um, a good friend of mine, she said to me, we're driving somewhere, and I was telling her about something that made me furious. And she was trying to understand what I was talking about or try to get at least understand why I was so worked up about this very minor thing, whatever it was, some sort of perceived hypocrisy that was going on like in 1988. I don't even remember. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she goes, you know, it, it seems pretty complicated being you as far as you have this very strict code of ethics that doesn't seem to matter or something like yeah, that yeah 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 which thought, is the kind of brutal honesty that i really enjoy like she's actually <laughs> yeah. she's fitting right into that code by saying that right 
it's yeah so it sent me into a spiral for a good day or so and then you know i doubled down on whatever i thought was upsetting me but it was but i i do reflect on that sometimes that there is there are things that i let go there's things that don't bother me in the least but when it comes to hypocrisy or when it comes to like my me perceiving something as fake or bullshit and then other people not understanding that I'm here to save them by telling them right. that my bullshit detector is yeah. going nuts right. that that's the only thing that I seem to spend a lot of time on and I've people have told me before that you know what a waste of effort but I whatever it is my superpower is a flawless bullshit detector but like it's like that fucking what was the uh um, in 12 Monkeys, uh, she, uh, they reference her. She re can see the future, but she can't do anything about it. What's the name? It's a, it's a woman's name. Like, I want to say, like, Clarissa or something. What's that fucking woman's name? Uh, it starts with a C. Um, anyway, uh, it's like some, some famous reference. But the idea is that there's a woman who's fated to oh, see the... Oh, yeah. Uh, Cassandra. Cassandra, Cassandra right. Cassandra mm -hmm. Complex. Fated to see the future, but can do nothing about it. I feel like that. Like th this, I mean, this is the whiniest thing I've ever said on this podcast. I feel like her, as far as I am doomed to s to have a bullshit detector that's trying to, you know, inform people that what they like or what they believe in is false. And I can't prove it. And I can't do anything about it. And yeah. that's that's as that's as whiny as I can get. Well, here's okay. So there's there's two kind of things here, and I so I actually forgot to make my point the last time, but I'll make it after I make this point. So hopefully I remember. Um, there is something massively frustrating about knowing knowing that deep down people sort of have to they have to sort of understand what what you're talking about. You know what I mean? I don't think that people are ignorant of it. But you see people constantly siding with like the the popular opinion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when you try to do something nuanced and then people don't get it. But that's a whole. I think feel like that's a whole other can of worms. But the major point that I wanted to make, this thing that I tweeted, was that you know I grew up in a military family, right, where everything was like quit being a pussy, uh, be disciplined, et cetera, et cetera, right. So who knows how that warped my fucking brain? But to my mind, when I go on Twitter. And I see people who are like, today I just want you to remember that you are a being of light and that you are a uh, gift to the world. And all this. Like to me, to me, per, for me personally, if that works for other people, fantastic. But for me personally, like that makes me feel sick to my stomach. And it actually makes it so that I can't do something. When I see, and unfortunately it's always these like raw, raw <clears throat> like military tough guy deadlift fucking you know bow hunter type dudes right who go on there and they're like hey quit being a little bitch get out there and do stuff that's what i respond to i'm like oh yeah i gotta yeah. stop being weak and i gotta go do something or whatever or like people who uh who come again well, complain and talk shit i feel alive when that happens and so i would dude, argue we, i would we, argue we, if we, people were really about making things positive right they would allow me to have my private negativity and not come into my comments the same way I don't go into theirs and try to tell me I'm wrong for being mean or whatever. Just let me live. Right. Well, you're, you picked the wrong time, again, to be a mediocre white male because yes. uh, weakness, weakness is in. Yeah. And you're, you're supposed to be getting in touch with that. And you're supposed to be upset. And, and you're supposed to – they say that males, we don't – you know, we're not – 
we don't hug enough, you know, when we're young and we don't, right. we don't, uh, we don't have enough con physical contact. Um, but you know, don't, don't hug anybody when you're taking a picture. <laughs> there goes your, yeah. there goes your, your candidacy. But right. my point is we don't, we don't have enough positive uh, emotional contact in our lives. So, sure. and if we, and if we cried, right, our, uh, the, the te our tears are literally poisoning us. If we can get them out, mm -hmm. we would feel better. I don't feel that's the case. I feel that, and this is, I lied earlier when I said that that was the whiniest thing I was going to say, get ready for this. I think that by telling me I can't be negative at this time in history, that's killing me. Yeah. That is me. That is the equivalent. I don't want to have. I don't want to cry. I don't need to cry. But if you just be, let me be kind of hateful for a while, yeah. I think that I would be so much healthier. And like, join me like, in it. Join me in it. Join me in the I'm, hate. Like, be a little what, hateful yeah. with me. That's what I'm bottling up. That's what's you know destroying like the muscles of your heart is not letting me be negative. Right. That let me do that. Let me I can be, do let that. me be a bitter asshole. I want to be can, a bitter asshole. And that's the thing that's so unfashionable right now is, um, you know, you don't want to be that person right now. You want to be, you know, I'm supposed to be in touch with my, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to cry about the dolphins. I'm supposed, that's going to save my life. But no, it's, let me be, let me embrace this negativity. And again, I'm not talking about hate speech. I'm not talking about that kind of negative. We all agree that that shit is terrible. I'm talking about the little things, the insignificant things, the little battles that mean nothing. Let me mm -hmm. pick at those. Yeah. Let me, let me. Or you want to make a joke about a movie you just truth. watched and people hop in your comments to be like, well, that's my friend and you're mean for being mean to my friend. <laughs> it's why nobody can be mean about any books anymore. I went on Goodreads. It's another thing that I said. I went on Goodreads. And I had I had hadn't been on for months, and I had a whole bunch of like reviews, good and bad. But man, there were some bad ones in there. Like you know, I wouldn't read another book by this dude if I had a gun to my head. I walked out of like I went outside and I breathed in the fresh air, and I was like, <laughs> I really feel like writing again. Like that does it for me. And like, who is anybody to deny me that? Right? Well, it's by because their own you logic. Have because you had a stranger read your book, dude. That's that's yeah. part of the excitement is that the negative review probably means you don't know him. And that's exciting right. because, hey, that's a stranger. It's not part of the circle, jerk. Yeah. I saw this the other day. I thought you'd enjoy it. It's a new, it's one of those new um, vague booking posts. But, um, well, I guess it's not vague because it's actually letting the cat out of the bag, but it, it's equal, equally insufferable. Okay. When people type the words, so this just happened, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm uh, saying? Yeah. And, it, and it's always the thing that the writer has known about for six months. It has been an extensive talks regarding, but they're right. like, so, whoa, this just happened. Like, it didn't just happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that, you didn't just happen to post it on High Traffic Tuesday, you know, at, at noon on the East Coast. Uh -huh, uh -huh, to get uh -huh. the maximum sweet likes. You know what I mean? What happened to, what happened to honest, real self-deprecation? That's what I want to know. I love like some real just like taking the piss out of yourself, but like all self-deprecation on the internet now is is like it's fake. It's like oh another day of just like caring too hard. Oh maybe <laughs> I should just like stop caring so hard. Also I should probably stop, you know, just being such a good guy and taking care of all my friends so much. I just it's like there's literally there's no real self-deprecate. Like I have not seen a writer in like a non fishing for compliments way, like goes just really dig into themselves. Ah, well, see now I'm talking shit and it's like, 
But I, I know. See it, but I then, see it occasionally, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it happens I mean, sometimes, but usually it's like the, one of those things where it's like, like writers will go after their own anxiety and they'll go after their own feelings of insecurity, which I guess is fine. But you'll notice they they never actually go after like their own books. You know what I mean? Like they never like take their book and be like, "Ooh, what a giant piece of shit that was." You know, like right. you just, yeah, you just well, don't see that. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. And it sounds like we're also in some sort of bubble and people might wonder, like, what are you doing, first of all, on social media? Also, what are you doing around all these writers? Mm -hmm. But I think that it's probably the fact that the same things were being said to me, the same advice I should have taken, like in 1988, proves that there were no writers around me at that time. I just, whenever I'm around, I have the, it's the same thing kind of mapped onto something else. Mm -hmm. I see that every time I've ever been in the workplace, there's been this, it's like Dave's negative. Like he's a problem. Why is he such a pain in the ass? You know, and what I couldn't quite gel with any of those places either. And those weren't writers. And then it wasn't just bookstores. I'm talking, I've had like 35 jobs um, where uh, in a variety of outdoor and indoor jobs never quite something is off when you have that when you bring in that cloud of negativity which i feel like is you know telling like it is or or uh you know bringing something interesting to the table we're all gonna laugh together and then still maybe enjoy this thing but instead it, it, it's where people stop wanting to talk to me about it i don't know yeah anyway. no i mean that's why that's why we that's why we gravitated towards each other because we can call each other up on the phone and i think it's and we always try to like laugh man we always have a laugh about, i think it's all at the expense of laughing you know because i think we just see a bunch of stuff that makes us roll our eyes and it just so happens that we're in this world that's full of writers and they provide so much just like you know premium right. content and um, I just heard the I'd heard the word negativity at least five times in about a two week span, and I thought, what is this again? We're going back to this again. Yeah. So anyway, it's like, do you like my books or don't you like my books? Do you want to read me or not? I don't want to be your fucking friend. I have five friends and I like them okay. I don't need you as my goddamn friend. Either read my book or don't. And if you don't like my little posts, that's fine. And if you're such a fucking child that that means you can't read me because. You know, you saw me being negative about something online. You know what? Fine. I'll grow plants for the rest of my life in the desert and I'll, I'll be I feel fucking like, cool, man. I was, I feel like you're talk, you're talking instead of, uh, for a minute, I thought that was me. Mm -hmm. You were doing, you were doing me, but then you were talking about growing plants. Yeah, that's I me. Feel, I feel like you're growing plants in real life. I am growing plants in real okay, life. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. yeah. And I, and I get a lot of joy out of it. I get a lot of joy out of hanging out with my friends who are, you know, real people. I get a lot of joy out of calling my cool friends on the phone, and I like planting stuff. And my family, well, I'm right? always, I am always here for you if you want a little negativity in your life. If you oh. just, you know, if things are going too good, give me a jingle. There we go. Speaking <laughs> of negativity, let's talk movies, dude. Uh, the... I hated both of them. Up, oh, up top. Here we go, dude. I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of Which thoughts. Which one do you want to start with? Between uh, Worlds? Let's, no, because I still don't know what I saw with that one. Okay. Um, I, I'm ready to be I'm ready to be convinced <laughs> in one direction or the other. I think I might have hated that one a little bit more because it required so much of my brain to decide whether okay, I, I hated it I hated it less. So that that'll be our point of contention. Okay. So this this will be interesting because I will I will tr try, and I don't know if I can even defend it. We'll start with, what was the fucking movie even called? The, the Silence. The, the Silence, The Silence. 
Yeah, like I'll, I'll talk summarize about. It? So maybe we'll start with things that I like. like sure. Um, uh, somebody uh, opens up a cave full of bats. Um, they're like murderous mutant bats or something. Um, they're really cute, they, actually. They're little cute, they, cute I thought the, the creature design wasn't too bad. They they're kind of adorable. They uh, the bats. Um, it's never really explained whether it's a worldwide attack, but they seem to be devastating quite a bit of the. Uh, what the the eastern United States, right around Appalachia, yeah. um, they seem to be going city to city and and killing everybody. They can't see, um, which is kind of weird because they seem to be communicating with each other. I guess it's sonar like bat situation, but then would the sonar mean that they could sort of see you know, if they're in a radar way? Anyway, we'll get to all that shit. Um, <laughs> That's a really good point that I didn't but, think about. Also, the, real quick, I mean, I'm really sorry to interrupt you already, but. Kind of later on in the movie, you find out that they reproduce by laying eggs in people, which I don't think people existed in the cave that they lived in for a million years. But the plot holes are legion in this thing. But please continue. Yeah, lots of yeah, there's a lot of plot holes. So yeah, um, should be noted that there is a uh, uh, deaf um, girl, a recently hearing impaired young woman who um, who is pivotal because they're, this family is doing a little better than the rest of the world. Because they're used to being quiet, I guess. At least that seems like that's where the idea st- would start. But then it's abandoned pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so the, a family that's speaking sign language is doing a little better than the rest of the world in this apocalypse. And they're, But the, it's a very small movie. They just kind of go from a car to a house, the end. Unless I'm forgetting another ending. Um, there's so it's a, And I kind of like that about it, that it was... We didn't see some, you know, military uh, um, response, um, even though it seems like it would be pretty easy to deal with them. They ha- they seem to have a lot of weaknesses, but we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that later. There's, so these people are dealing with an apocalypse, which is bat related, and uh, they have to be quiet and they have sign language, which helps them um, for a while. Now they have a kind of a um, kind of a Kobayashi Maru test for the audience regarding the deaf girl because she she speak and I think you gave me a little bit of this a little taste of this on the internet yesterday where uh, it's problematic right she speaks yeah. like anyone um, and so you're immediately thinking to yourself is she, she doesn't sound like a deaf person why is she speaking so well and then you right. feel kind of sh- feel kind of shitty about it like it dares the viewer to feel like shit wondering wouldn't she struggle to speak more like kind of children of a lesser god voice happening mm-hmm. even though it's and it, so it seems to be glossing over a struggle that might be an insult to the actual hearing impaired community and then 15 minutes in you realize oh she lost her hearing recently so that's why she's talking normally so then you get to feel sh- like shit again it's like why did you think that she had to sound really terrible or something and as you tried to stick up for people that what you think that they sound bad. So anyway, I tied my brain in knots trying to figure out how I was supposed to, you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, so there's, there are people and I'm talking completely out of my ass. So I'll try my best not to be offensive, but Oh boy. There are people who've been deaf for a really long time or their entire life. And I feel like the ones who have been deaf their entire life, those are the ones who sign and, you know, make sound. But the, the and the sound doesn't really quite sound like much of anything, right? Right. Is there's something called isn't it volume modulation that's tough for the deaf? Yeah, exactly, community? exactly. So and then you have people who kind of became deaf, but they still have. I mean, I would have to imagine uh, that 
just simply not being able to hear yourself would make over time, even over the course of a few <clears throat> years, would affect your voice because you stop like, after not being able to hear it for even like a few days. I'm assuming that you wouldn't really. Again, I'm talking completely out of my ass. I don't know if this no, is no, true, I, but I feel no, like I, something which like I've known a few deaf people in my life. Uh, none of them, I think, were born deaf. I think they all became deaf. And, yeah, their voices sound different. Their voices sound like, I mean, obviously, and they it, can't and, hear and what I, they sound like. Right. I'm going to jump in I just because I uh, my previous job before I started teaching was um, I closed captions. And there was at the closed captioning company, um, there was a lot of outreach to the hearing impaired community. Yeah. So I had a lot of I, I have a lot of ideas about what um, – not necessarily what the hearing impaired is dealing with in real life, but I definitely have a good idea of what they like in their entertainment because okay. we would we would try to get from them a lot of feedback about how you want this information on these captions so that it's not condescending, so that it doesn't interfere with their enjoyment of the program mm -hmm. and and things that they you know they would have a lot of responses to what what frustrated them in captioning or in movies in general about the hearing impaired community. So immediately I was set off by, there were things that I was liking that the movie was doing. And, but then there was me trying to second guess what the hearing impaired community would think of it. Okay. And then like, and then me starting to think, well, wait, this, how does this affect, uh, this is an overall experience for anyone as far as a movie. Right. So I was down, I was just, like I said, I was tying myself in knots, but then, I really liked how for a minute and then they abandoned it. Like they abandoned every good idea in this movie, but yeah. for a minute, which they have a lot of them, it, by the way, there's a lot of good yeah, ideas. There, there are, there are, I would say more than a quiet place, which it's getting um, compared to right. uh, for a minute. They're, they're silent. Do you remember that? The beginning yeah. of it, they're talking in sign language and they're kind of mouthing the words. And it's kind of like, you know, when back before they fucked up clockwork orange and slapped a glossary on it, they were doing something great, which is we had to use context clues yeah. or just like uh, in a book with a little bit of Spanish in it. You know, we don't need the translation. We are figuring it out with context clues. Are you talking and... about Zero Saints by Gabino Iglesias, released by Broken River <laughs> Books in 2016? Is that the book you're talking about? I think if you want to talk about, if you want to use that as an example, that is an, a book with some Spanish oh, okay. mixed in okay. where I, I found myself using context clues to figure it out. I don't speak Spanish and I didn't learn Spanish while reading the book, but I was able to hmm. read it with that little extra flavor. Right. Um, and I actually also, I'm, I'm not a huge ASMR guy, but I got a real like pleasure out of watching uh, Stanley Tucci do his like half like whisper <laughs> half sign thing. I don't know why I just found it so appealing. Like well, every time he was talking and he was like, you could kind of hear like his like the the saliva and his gums moving and he's like Sick. he's doing that thing with his eyebrows where he's like trying to emphasize what he's talking well, that, about. I was like, I, I, I'm always, into this. Well, I, I I hate that shit just because I hate when people whisper for some reason it viscerally affects me. So I'm not one of those ASMR guys, but I do I, I, I do it's a little negativity on the ASMR. But I do appreciate a Stanley Tucci because of uh, Big Night when he. Oh. 
um, when he, he cooked that delightful breakfast in the closing scene. So I always feel like he's there to take care of me. Mm-hmm. He's there to make me a nice breakfast. So a as a actor, dad man. figure, he's just a good actor. It was, dude, it was really good casting. Yeah, Him the girl, as, the, the 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 girl who who is the kind of the lead was great too. She was the one yeah, from a, uh, Mad Men. She was in Mad Men. Was she? she? Yeah, she was uh, the Draper's daughter. Oh, that's where I saw her. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. I could we couldn't place it last night, but anyway. So the point is, at the beginning, I had all sorts of thoughts about the use of the deafness in it, and. Whereas, you know, in a quiet place, it's kind of used as a superpower uh-huh. and that's kind of, that's pretty dumb. But when they were doing it, when they were being quiet and they had to sign in silence, I thought, man, if this if it does it the whole time, they're kind of one up in a quiet place, which very simply just had the first 20 minutes as them is quiet. So it causes the uh, the audience to be quiet. And that was an effective opening. Yeah. But with this, um, I thought they were doing something a little more interesting. Again, it's abandoned completely. Then they start whispering, then they start talking, and they forgot all about what they were doing as far as doing something unique. And I think it's because because what I was excited about is that it wasn't doing the thing. There's a thing that they do, in, and like in Children of a Lesser God, it's probably the most egregious use of this, where um, when they, when they want to do something to show uh, a, de- a conversation with the hearing impaired, They'll have the person, the the hearing person, will repeat everything back to them, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody will do some sign language, and then somebody will repeat everything they said back to them. So it gives you the effect of, like in a movie, when someone's on only one then end of a phone call, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody picks it up, and you only hear one end. So they give yeah. you all of it. So they go, "Hello, uh, what do you mean he's been arrested for the murder <laughs> yeah, of his yeah, yeah, right, wife? Right. Even though he claims there's no evidence, there's clear indication with a large amount of blood being removed from the kitchen floor that uh, that mm-hmm. someone staged they staged the crime scene and then cleaned up a crime scene. That makes no sense. I, I don't know why I just put the plot of Gone Girl there for some reason. There we go. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, totally. so they weren't so they weren't doing that, but then they started to so, so rather than have to do that. They probably said, well, let's just start whispering. So that was my first my first dilemma. Also, they – again, I'm of two minds about showing the creatures so early. They're small, and I guess that was kind of interesting that they were they're yeah. more of a plague, right? They look like Petri from but the I Lamb of Time. But I still think showing <laughs> – they were kind of adorable. But showing them early kind of kills it a bit, you know, that we see the threat right away. We actually see it in the distance. You know, they're all over the phone lines like the birds. They're right, just kind of right. and not not birds in real life. I mean, like Hitchcock's the birds. They're lining all the power lines ominously. And uh, it kind of it has a different effect than Quiet Place where they save the reveal till about halfway through. Or, of course, Bird Box where you don't see anything at all. And it made me kind of appreciate the not seeing anything. This movie was so simple that it started to make me think that if Bird Box was put into chronological order, there's a lot more happening in that, that I think it was probably better. It made, it was kind of like Matrix. When you watch Matrix Revolutions, you're like, you know what? Matrix Reloaded, not too bad. (laughs) So it's just like I watch watch the silence, and I'm like, you know what? Bird Box, not too bad. Wow, we're going to retcon our whole Bird Box trashing episode. (laughs) That one was so popular. We do not. We do not because now it's all mixed in my brain so much that, like you were saying earlier when people were saying, uh, you know, Bird Box uh, or – 
this the uh, what's the quiet place dude is not a good idea i just had a good idea i just had a good idea for another movie like this right so what if it's a monster right that can smell testicles right and <laughs> so you have to either cut dude's balls off or you have to kill them and you could call it canceled right <laughs> well dude here's the thing I, like you said earlier, you said didn't you say something on on Twitter? You're like, isn't this a quiet place knockoff? And the they all came down on you like the little yeah, it was real fast, like, man. Yeah, it was real fast. Like everybody was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's not a rip off. I was like, oh my god, wait, oh, I I totally fucked up. And that's you what happens, dude. When like, so I guess uh, <laughs> I guess Tim Levin is uh, I guess you know he's it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. He's, our, he's our Facebook friend. He's our Facebook yeah, friend, which is why I didn't know I, that. I didn't know I started, that at the time. Here I was. Innocently, I was innocently just trying to like make a commentary on a movie that I saw, and I thought I had no no friends of friends who were like a part of this, and I just wanted to kind of be like, I guess Dave's making me watch a Quiet Place knockoff, I guess, and then immediately people are like, it's not a knockoff. What are we talking about? You're talking about something? I'm like, oh god, I fucked up. I fucked this whole thing up. I'm sorry. Never mind. Well, you, I tried to make one joke about it. I got unfriended by two people. In maybe 20 minutes. I don't know if they're friends of his. The thing is, it wasn't even at that point. I was still liking the movie because it was my the thing I was making fun of was at the beginning when people realize that sound is a problem. They show some some YouTube video where someone holds up a sign that says don't make noise. And right when they explain that to the world, an emergency broadcast text comes on the screen. It says, do not make noise. Stay indoor inside your house. And then it goes. <laughs> it's like how many people how many people did they just kill who just turned up their radios can i and talk I, about my favorite plot hole right now can i talk about my favorite plot hole because the because the movie actually solves the problem right it solves it and then it has to unsolve it okay <laughs> so this family goes um <clears throat> the 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 protagonist family they escape into the wilderness they are pursued by the delightful um, bird bat things to a cabin in the woods that is sort of owned by this uh i guess it's it's a very like kind of liberal movie that like takes a lot of shots at religion and conservatism or whatever but this is very clearly supposed to be like an avatar of libertarianism the kind of get off my land lady and she's immediately devoured by the creatures because she's how did she make it that far did you think when she came out for a second that no, just to jump in real quick did you for a minute, did you? Because the what you see is they come up to this fence, and one of the bats lands on a bell, and then gets obsessed with the bell, right. and it and it kind of keeps it at bay. Right. And my first thought was, oh shit, somebody already put together some sort of anti-bat compound. Yeah, same, same. And then it turns out they she's a dipshit. Up. She doesn't know. She's like, get off my property. Boom, shoots off her shotgun, whatever. <laughs> and then they eat her, and um, these people sort of take over her place. But uh, there's a sequence that could have been cool. So they get onto the property through a drain pipe that has a rattlesnake in it. And uh, the rattlesnake, you know what? Okay, I'll give it. The rattlesnake bit was cool. It was just CGI. So, um, you know, take from that what you will. Anyway. There's a, there's a real low-rent CGI car crash in that movie, too, that really took yeah, really took some, me out of it right at the some, beginning. You can't, you can't wreck CGI. a car. That's, again, what we were saying earlier about movies are a little less special. You can't wreck one car right. in your apocalypse movie. Mm -hmm. You can't roll a car. 
Anyway. Yeah, no, you can't do it, man. So they get on this property, um, and there's some kind of like panic going on. I, I can't remember why the the bad things were set off. But uh, Stanley Tucci's character finds a wood chipper and turns it on, right? And so the wood chipper goes. Can you just call for for? Can you call Stanley Tucci new dad for the rest of the podcast? Because I think he's our new dad. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I would. I would actually really enjoy Tucci being my pops. Like that would be cool. (laughs) Just like hanging out with him. I feel like anything that I told him, he would be like, "Okay, all right, yeah, okay, cool." Like, like, Dad, I need some money. He's like. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Like adjust the glasses, whatever. And, then he, and he makes you a little one egg omelet. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah. Finish your, finish your story. Oh, sorry. But, uh, so, okay. So, uh, so the wood chipper turns on and all of the bats become attracted to the sound. So they all fly towards the wood chipper and they fly directly into it and their, you know, blood and guts are spewing out the other end. And then it should have been credits. <laughs> he turns the thing off and it's like, why don't you just leave that on? And then the problem with that scene, as cool as it was, the problem with that scene is that it gets your gears turning, right? And so you start thinking, like, if they realize that sound kills these things, wouldn't some enterprising scientist very quickly whip up some kind of giant sound-generating moth zapper, right? It would be like a moth zapper. Like, it would bring them all in, and it would zap them as they, as they went to go get it. Sure. Doesn't that make sense? Like, wouldn't that just, wouldn't that fix the whole thing? Right. The people would be rolling around with wood chippers or just like, like in Mars Attacks when they were rolling around with that song, like, and all the Martians' heads heads were blowing up. Right. Yeah. He, he, New Dad pretty much solved it. He solved it. But then they, they had, like you said, they had to. turns it off. They had to forget about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's like hooked up. It's, it's electrical. It's hooked up. It's not battery powered. It's, it's could run forever. You could just turn that thing on, and every day you'd go scrape out the insides, try not to make noise, I guess, and clean up the pile of fucking, you know, Vesp. They're called Vesps, by the way. Vesp guts. <laughs> and boom, you solved it. And that's why I think, like, you have to be really careful with movies like this. And I think that's the problem with these kind of, like, sight or sound-based movies is that the, the solutions, when you have a planet of six billion people... It wouldn't be the fucking apocalypse because somebody would figure this out. Well, that's why quickly. I think to to give to credit the story itself, I think that might be one of the reasons to keep it small. Yeah. Because I like the idea it only took place over a day or two. Um, because things things which it didn't. It took it, it yeah, that's, at the end. Yeah. I, that's why I blame the movie for that jump in time. Um, <gasps> because keeping it small would have then then it's like you can't say there's a a plot hole because these people might be stupid. They might have trouble figuring things out. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what I do in that situation. It, I should, remember... it should be limited to one night, right? Like yeah, this right. is the, this is the night that you have to survive. That's optimal. If you don't do that, I prefer it when they jump real far past it. Like in uh, mm-hmm. that movie monsters where the whole, um, where like South America was, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. And they started years later. Yeah. Like, hey, we got, we got to deal with this problem. Or see, even... The thing is, big monsters make more sense, too. You know what I mean? Like, it would make more sense that big monsters would fuck the world up, you know? Right. Like, Sorry, yeah, like, like Pacific Rim. Um, people, a lot of haters for that movie, but I did really like how it takes place after the situation. Mm-hmm. It's like, here we are, year five, dealing with this thing. Um, I like those, and I like the ones that where you watch it happen in real time the day of. Right. This one started to dabble with 
the moment in between, and that's where you got to have your rules locked down because yeah. that's when fucking dorks like us are saying, oh, wait a second, uh, wood chipper on every corner. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But yeah, and that's, and that's the thing is like put the family closer to the hole that opens up too. You know what I mean? Like let's just see these kind of – it's so that makes it more of like a disaster movie. You know what I mean? That's like the movies where volcanoes explode or whatever, you know? It's yeah, not an apocalypse. That's what these movies, well, that's when these movies are the best, right? And that's what makes the best zombie movies is you, you treat the thing like kind of like the weather. It's not really a presence. It's not, you know, it's, it's evil is kind of, um, it's like the situational evil where that means you have to focus on making these characters and their dilemma interesting enough to stand on its own. Where you could take the bats and you could trade them in with fucking tornadoes or you could trade them in right. with fucking zombies. You could swap them for anything, but the human part of it would be would still be compelling. That's what makes these movies good. Right. That's why Bird Box didn't work because they, the weird structure made it so that there was no – suspense about who was going to live or die and then in the moments in the flashbacks when we saw them all there was all these cliched moments so it wasn't compelling and i think people thought that the, because it dealt with children that the beats were there so that they supplied their emotion this is that thing where again my bullshit detector says you guys weren't really crying over those children were you were you uh-huh. i saw a lot of people saying oh i was in tears at the end and then tagging the the author it's like were you really were yeah. you really because right. i feel like it was genetically uh masterminded scientifically engineered to remove all emotion from that experience yeah for sure yeah, you, you still you still were that mo- anyway i'm getting off on a tangent i was thinking the whole time i don't know if i sent you a message about this that when i was watching it i'm so confused now about who ripped off who that i thought uh, man this i started watching and i yeah. thought man this sucks because I watch. I'm thinking this. What's his name? Lebon? Did you say? He's... I think it's Levin, but I don't know. Okay. I, I, I don't know the guy. But I was thinking, man, it sucks for this guy because everybody, like you, are saying that Quiet Place ripped him off. But Quiet Place just simply got to the screen first. But and I'm yeah. thinking, what what are all the similarities? Like, there's the religious groups. There's a house fortif- a house fortified with safeguards that they. There's, there's, a, a there's a tub there's a, scene. There's like a random yeah. tub scene in, in silence. That doesn't, it doesn't even matter, but it just seems like it's there to be like, we see you, bitch. We <laughs> you. Yeah, I see you over there. And there's, a, there's, of course, the daughter with the disability. Uh-huh. Um, it's very important. Uh, it's, and, you know, it's all in there. And then I started thinking, well, wait a, wait a minute. There's actually did, did this Tim Levin rip off Josh Mallerman? Because, uh, you know, who came out first if Bird – Bird Box has the cult that sends in a confederate to oh, fuck up the safe house. Because if you think in Bird Box, there's the the person comes in the door and pretends to be normal. They throw the windows open and in the silence you have the girl comes in and she's like, oh, uh-huh, I got no tongue. Oh, so we're sitting here talking about who ripped off whom, the silence or a quiet place. But the more important more, talk might so be... Much- the Dude, silence so much, or bird box. There's so much bird box stuff. There's a phone ringing that's very, very crucial to the end. The phone ringing over and over. Mm-hmm. The dog's hair is the signal for the creatures are near, just like the mm-hmm. birds in the box. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the cult mutilates themselves, although that was more in the book where the bird box cult were – they were blinding themselves so that they wouldn't cause an issue right. so that they could survive. These people are cutting their tongues out, which, of course, makes no sense, but they're crazy, so we'll let it, it go. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't that's that so, make zero sense? That makes zero sense. sense. I 
didn't mind it because in this movie, you and they always like have to you, show it. He does that thing where like, Meh. dude, and in this like, movie, everybody went so crazy. Like five minutes after the apocalypse started, right. it was so hilarious. Like five minutes into it, there's somebody uh, throwing a baby to the wolves, basically. Yeah. You know, they're like, uh, which was actually, that's a, if you remember the show mash, that was a very special episode of mash where a Hawkeye was on a, he was like hiding out from the Viet Cong and there was a crying baby. But in his mind, he like had to uh, like retcon it and, and think about killing a chicken. But because the mother kept telling the mother to shut up that baby and she eventually smothers the baby and it makes him go crazy. Oh, my God. I know for, for a sitcom, that was That's a pretty heavy dark, episode. dude. So at the end, so he's like, she she killed the chicken. I told her to keep that chicken quiet. She killed the chicken. And then he's like in therapy later. And he's like, it was a baby or something like Yikes. that. So when that happened, I was like, that's that's very special episode of MASH. But it made me think like, man, things are escalating quickly in this world. I and just, I God, don't think people would do that. I literally don't. I just, I just don't think people would do that. You don't think that they'd already be sacrificing babies to their new. No pack- way. They're new Quetzalcoatl gods. No, and people would be saying something. Like, people would speak up. You know, that's one thing that, like, in movies that I think... I think they actually get it right. Like, I don't... I literally don't think that an entire subway car full of people would be like, yeah, kick her off. It's fine. Although, I don't know, dude. I think the one that they did, I think, on... In a a believably terrifying way is uh the dog the the to and that I, was a good scene okay so the dog was a much better right. handled scene yeah exactly that, that was scary that was scary but it felt right like that's about the yeah. time right. that uh you have to make a quick decision uh, just for people to we want to make sure we totally spoil it is the uh they're hiding in the car things have just happened the dog's barking like crazy the dog is also telling him when the things are near because the dog's hair stands up and they're like well uh, we got to get rid of this dog He's and, and, go. and it's on slow motion. New dad yeah, yeah, yeah. puts, puts a chokehold on the dog and sends it out to its death. And I thought this movie's way better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. 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 No, that was when, a really good decision. I was all at that point. I thought this movie's pretty sweet. And I just think like, when you look at the, the, the like shush clan later, the, yeah. the weird religious people, they're like, send us, you know, send me your women. We will build a new world. Yeah, that was it's weird. like, this motherfucker went total post-apocalyptic villain in like 24 hours. Back. Back. All right, cool. Welcome to the Terradome. All right, what is your question? Well, real quick, I was actually Googling while you were gone. I um, I was trying to figure out who came up with the idea first because now I'm obsessed with it. Levin did. Le- the, the silence was first. Well, here's the thing, dude, because now these, these guys that did The Quiet Place, they're, they're in an interview talking about when they – First wrote They're a full of shit. That's full of shit. I think the point, I can't figure out who came up with what first. I don't know if I could say with any degree of certainty who had, because I feel like they're. Levin I, wrote what, it in 2015. They wrote the spec script in 2019. And then they do that thing that everybody does where they're like, oh, well, actually, we had the idea. Yeah. So when it, we had the idea way back in the 90s. Oh, Bird Box came before the silence, though. Bird Box. Okay, did. so. So Bird Box was, but here's the thing. I, I always like to rip on people that say, oh, parallel thinking. I think there's some parallel thinking because, uh, you know, we had that, there was that rash of um, word-based virus books and movies, you know, like uh, um, Lullaby and right. uh, Flame, Flame Out. Out. Yeah. Flame Out. 
bed and uh, Pawnee Pool changes everything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a natural extension where these landed after that. I think a lot of people thought to themselves, mm-hmm. a sensory-based plague. Right. And that's why the, you know, the same, for the same reason that we're ripping on some of these, some of these kind of uh, simple-minded moves is that a lot of them made the same move. Right. And that makes them seem, I think it's, you're going to find yourself getting unfairly corralled into the, the plagiarist zone if you do something that's a, that's not creative enough. Yeah, I think I think I feel bad for Levin, dude. I just I really do. I I feel like uh, pretty forgot he was before Bird Box. No, Bird no, Box he was wasn't first. before Bird Box. So I mean, but Bird but Bird Box, is, think, the difference between the Bird Box and 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 the Silence is enough uh, that I that, a lot of stuff. I don't know what the book looks like. I only I read Bird Box in like I said in the Bird Box podcast. It works way better on the page because mm-hmm. it's a it's a book structure where you back up and you retell everything. Yeah, and you and there's you know the rules aren't set in stone as far as thing uh, the way they are in a film where, especially when it's being narrated. I think it might have been present tense. I don't remember all that. A lot of that stuff you can get away with on the page, but. I didn't read The Silence, but I would say the movie The Silence shares a lot with Bird Box. So I don't even, again, I can't point a finger because does that mean that people just, the people that made that one, it's it's another Netflix movie. Did they look at their big supposed success with the most downloaded movie of all time, Bird Box? They said, we got got Bird Box's shit up. So maybe uh, the books aren't as incestuous as I'm making it sound. I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, my guess would be that, I mean, there's, there's influence everywhere. So it would be hard to, for me to like directly say that like, oh, this is a ripoff of uh bird, but it's definitely not a ripoff of a quiet place. I'm, I'm pretty firm in that camp. Right. Uh, I think it could probably be inspired by Bird Box because Bird Box. I mean, let's let's say it like in this. our in our community of which this dude was definitely a part of, Mallerman's book was pretty fucking big before it was a movie. I mean, it was it was one of those ones that made you sit up and take notice. You're like, oh, this book is actually like it's doing well, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why I read it. That was what five seven years ago, <laughs> seven ten years eight, ago, yeah, something like that. that was a, yeah, it was a while. Ago. I was back mm-hmm. in Louisville when I read it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so let's let's say this: we can't uh, we can't prove in our kangaroo court who stole yeah. from who regarding the books. But I think it's safe to say that there are redundancies that we can firmly put at the feet of Netflix for yeah. making similar making similar products. And why not? Fair. Let's yeah. let's throw the the guys from Quiet Place under the bus and say they probably stole something because fuck, fuck them, them, dude. They're, of they're course billionaires. they did. Of course they did. But here's the question I had for you before you went to take a piss. The apo- the apocalypse goes down. Yeah. And uh, like we were talking about earlier, there's there's this crazy uh, cult that pops up. I think 15 minutes after. The apocalypse starts. Yeah. They've already formed. Also, some by the sort way, of... fifteen minutes before the end. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and I'll, I give Amy credit for this. She's when the the cult leader shows up. She's like, "Is that a full size Peter Dinklage?" Because that's exactly <laughs> what he's. That's exactly what he looks like. So, 
So full size Peter Dinklage <sighs> comes out and he does a move that I think is worse than the head tilts that I was ripping on last is episode. It the, is it the arm raising? No, it's the fucking the finger to the lips and going shh. Oh, I hate and, that shit. And this one they they one upped it. He puts his fingers to his lips and he holds up a sign that says shh. Dude. <laughs> and, and here's the and thing. People do not do this creepy, dumb bullshit in real life. You know what I mean? I, nobody does it. Like, nobody the does same it. Reason, yeah, the same reason nobody does the head tilt, because right. it doesn't make any sense outside right. of being Michael Myers and confused why the guy you stabbed isn't falling over. You don't do it to try to be scary, to, to scare you someone. You know what happens when I'm confused? I furrow my brow. <laughs> you, That's it. But the, the, but the shush thing is always so annoying, because it's... Mm-hmm. It, it plays on that idea that like children are scary and it's it's like using the you know the shining thing with like little just a little kid walking into a room and standing there is scary i hate all that shit Daddy, but there's something there's a ghost in something my about, room something about the shush move is really infuriating yeah. so they do that in this movie like five times but they also do it with a piece of paper which if i wanted to give them credit for subverting that trope kind of like I, I would hope the emergency broadcast thing was on funny on purpose. Right. The fact that the broadcast is probably getting people killed. Um, anyway, when it's like so, and they yeah. have graffiti on the walls, you, this is something that bothers me too. They they have graffiti on the walls. It's like what now and repent. When you know if it was the apocalypse, people would be like graffitiing like poop sex or some <laughs> dumb bullshit. You well, know what I my, mean? That's my question to do to you. Is they have this guy. This guy comes out for this his flock of the what are they called like the hushed or some bullshit. He's, he had a sign that said, I'm the Revenant, come join my flock of the Hushed. And the, the fucking Shush clan is, you know, they're already full apocalyptic villains. My question for you is, the crisis is happening. The yeah. apocalypse mm-hmm. started. Right. I'm actually quoting our, our, we haven't talked about it in a while. This is a quote directly from Bellflower. Okay. The, apoc- the apocalypse has just the, also also this the the seminal film of this podcast. Yes. Bellflower is like the patron saint of the almost good podcast. So. And Bellflower, the characters in Bellflower answer this question perfectly. One of them asks the other, "The apocalypse has just started. What do you do?" And he's like, "Build a flamethrower, build a, <laughs> a fire belching car, and we roll up on people. We're like, come with us. You know, it's kind of like." They immediately get a lot dumber when it happens. Yeah, right. But my question for you is, one hour after what? Strange lights are seen over El Paso. Uh-huh. Something is happening. What, do you do you immediately lose your shit and, like, you know, chop off your dick and grab a robe and a helmet and, and with a cup holders for beer? And you're like, I call myself the leader of the afters. <laughs> and do you finger up to your lips and go <laughs> I'm really know? glad you asked that man because what like last night you... last night while I'm, after I'm watching these movies I decide I'm going to go to the grocery store and we uh, yesterday were in the grips of like this huge dust storm and these things can get fucking apocalyptic right like they they blot out the sky like you can't really go outside you can't breathe anything because you're in the middle of a fucking sandstorm right um, so I watch these movies and I go out and sure enough, uh, Rios is in the car with me, and we're, we're driving to, uh, to Walmart. And we look up, and we see, like, these bizarre lights in the sky, you know? Like, probably helicopters, but it's weird, you know? And so that's probably, besides being in tornadoes in Oklahoma, that's probably the closest that uh, I've been to this sort of, like, weird post-apocalyptic feeling. And what you do and is— And what, what did you do? You go to what the you do? fucking grocery store. 
What's what I really <laughs> honestly think would happen, and I've never seen a post-apocalyptic film tackle this, is how stubbornly most people would carry on with their lives until the bitter end. You have so many people go into survival mode. You know what I mean? When I guarantee you, and this might sound crazy, but I believe it's true, when they see that broadcast on TV and they're like, oh, these bat things are eating people, most people <laughs> would be like, well, I'm going down to the 7-Eleven. Does anybody want anything? You know, <laughs> We would just chill. Look, okay, so th- think about it this way. Think about it this way. Not to use people's actual real tragedy, um, but... One thing that I've always found fascinating about the really good reporting on places like Syria and Iraq is that you have people who live in these war-torn urban areas, you know, where buildings are collapsing and snipers are firing at people. And you'll hear these stories about, like, lawyers who get up every day, get dressed in their suits, and walk to work. Like, they walk to work through active war zones. And one thing that I have not seen post-apocalyptic movies really touch on that I think would be really interesting is, like, what if all this was happening and instead of going into doomsday prepper mode, people just, like, stubborn... Like, Americans would do this, right? Against Against all odds, we would try our best to not be affected. Doesn't that sound right? Well, that's why... Yeah, that's why I thought that it was a little it was too soon to be sacrificing babies. But the dog made sense to me. I felt oh, like yeah, that you was get rid of the track. dog. I mean, people get rid of dogs when I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, fr- I'm they, friends with they somebody shit on online. the floor five times by dog. I'm friends with somebody <laughs> online who was like, I'm moving houses and I can't afford to like get rid of this dog. And also like all the all the no kill shelters said no. So I hope somebody adopts them. And I'm like, are you going to kill Christ. your fucking dog because you can't afford to take him with you? This is this was like a real – because this is a person who I really liked, but I saw this and I was like, oh, my God. Like, are you going to fucking murder – like, are you going to send it to a kill shelter because you can't find a home for it? But, like, people yeah, – they would get rid of the mind, dogs immediately. The What's that? I just said never mind the apocalypse. The dog got inconvenient. No, exactly. Exactly. That's the biggest thing. I think we're kind of touching on something here that I'm a hundred percent sure somebody will become inspired, quote unquote, by this and actually do it, or we'll see it on Twitter a little bit later. But like, where's the where's the post apocalyptic movie where everybody's just trying to be normal? You know, where they're just like, all right, this is cool. Like, we live with these bat things now. It's chill. Like, let's figure it out. that's kind of what monsters was. I think that's what, that's what its charm was, was the attempt to integrate it into the society. And that was the part of Pacific Rim that I thought was the most interesting was there was that, uh, like a Chinatown area where they were living in a skeleton and they were kind of like selling black market parts, like dealing with it in a very capitalistic American way. Right. 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 Um, but yeah, the, uh, as far as the question about what people do under supernatural pressure, right? That's they had such potential with that show, Scare Tactics, and it turned out to be a lot of fakery. That Shannon Doherty hosted it. It was kind of like a Fear Factor knockoff where okay. they would. Uh, I actually used to close caption it to bring this full circle. Um, I used to be very excited about closed captioning it because the scenarios were amazing, but then. You know, I would always be able to tell which ones were fake, which reality shows were fake. Um, but for a couple of them, they seemed to be real because the guy, the people sued the show and they had to close it down. But the gimmick was that they would put people in a supernatural setting mm-hmm. and see what they would do. Like the one that I remember got... this was this the one where they had like a little weird like 
little yeah, person little, rat little, guy. Yeah, yeah, little rat guy. Yeah, I remember and, this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one was pretty good. But the one that got him uh, accidentally famous was they had a car full of people. They had some strange lights in the sky. And then they had a guy in like this full-on alien costume, but just real bulky and yeah. intimidating, run up and like shake the shit out of the car and then run off. Um, what's funny is that the guy in the back seat uh, bailed on his girlfriend and everybody else in the car. As soon as... <laughs> As soon as he saw the alien, didn't they do that in the Bigfoot one too? There was a trailer yeah. one where Bigfoot attacks the trailer and somebody bails immediately. But go ahead, probably. Go ahead. Yeah, it might have been. I might be conflating a couple of them, but I remember the guy immediately bails, and then he sued the show uh, for uh, making him look bad. But it's just funny because it's. I like the idea that that guy saw the aliens. He's like, "Oh, aliens are real. Good luck." Bye. <laughs> I'm going to take my chances in the fucking wilderness or whatever. So there would be that person, right? Like, there would be those people. I mean, the same way that there are doomsday preppers now. But I guarantee you, with social media, it would be a joke immediately. Like, the again, the graffiti would not be like, shh, or, you know, uh, why, or what now. It would be some, like, seven levels deep Sonic the Hedgehog meme. You know what I mean? Yeah got all leftovers on it pretty quick there was yeah. something on the in the news and in the in the silence where or she was watching youtube or something and she says they just crucified a man in mississippi and they're all sad for a yeah. second and again it's again it's the same day well we wouldn't and, the thing is we would not see this as the apocalypse like global warming is happening right now and nobody cares right yeah well when <laughs> this is kind of funny when when that line happened I got the giggles because it, she says they crucified a man in Mississippi, and for, and Amy didn't think this was funny, but I kept cracking myself up over it. I kept imagining new dad Stanley Tucci going, "Well, it's about time," <laughs> and it made it made no sense. But I kept I kept getting stuck in my mind that he because they brought it up later, mm-hmm. and I just kept thinking it's about time. And it was um, I don't know if I ever told you about this when I was. Uh, I went to see a movie in uh, Florida when I was coming home from a wedding. We were killing time at the airport, and it was uh, Mystic River, or yeah, Mystic River. And uh, you remember the Sean Penn moment is where that my she, son uh, in there? Is, is that, that my, my daughter in there? My yeah. daughter, my daughter. That's what it is. Is yeah. that my daughter? And I, uh, the guy I was with, my friend Jerry, I leaned over and I said, "What if, what if instead of saying is that my daughter in there, he was saying is that my sandwich in there?" <laughs> again, it made it made. It made no sense, but he got the fucking giggles going, and he couldn't stop because he says it over and over. But yeah, so we got the fucking giggles, and people were getting pissed and because we're just thinking, is that my sandwich in there? And then it, and then we we got it together, but then he goes to identify the body, and they, they're showing him the body, and he goes, yes, that's my daughter. And of course, we're thinking, <laughs> that's my sandwich. <laughs> that's my sandwich. Yes, that's my sandwich. And we, we start fucking losing it. And uh, we almost, yeah, we almost got our asses kicked in Florida because uh, we were ruining like the most poignant moment. The most mystical Pizza. of rivers, yeah, for sure, yeah. Well, do you want to you want to make um, kind of like final point because I kind of want to move on to between yeah, worlds. Think, this is where I feel like the real meat of the discussion is going to happen. So I, here, another mistake I made was um, you get a kick out of this. Do you remember the guy was under the car and he uh, sacrificed himself by right. shooting his gun so that the little bats attacked him? Yeah. So I don't know if you're remember the scene but the guy starts shooting it and uh we're watching it we're like that that gun seems to have like 30 fucking bullets in it Mm -hmm. so let's count it 
let's count them up and it'll be something fun to talk about. Right. And so we, we counted up all the bullets and we're like, that's got to be like 35, 30 to 35 shots. And that what a joke. What a stupid. This right. movie's stupid. They don't know how many bullets go in a gun. And of course, I fucking Google it. And it's like the new Glock holds 33 rounds. <laughs> and I, I just heard like the voice of all these fucking preppers out there like, you stupid motherfucker. Of course, yeah. that is ex- the exact number of bullets from a Glock. That is exact. Right, and right. so it's weird that like. Where do all the bullets uh, you know, go, though? Well, he shot at like two or three of the things, but he was just trying to make noise for them to come and get him. But it made me think like. No, I mean, where do the bullets go in the gun? Well, I looked at it. The clip, they're, they're kind of. Um, I think they're in like three rows. They're mm. it's it's they're they're like interesting. They all so they when they go up, they don't go. They're not just one on top of the other. They're kind of threaded. Okay. Um, but yeah, does anybody? I don't. This is us getting on the uh, starting to realize that guns are a problem. <laughs> do you yeah. Need, do you need right. thirty rounds? Do you need yeah, thirty-three what do you, rounds? What do you in need thirty rounds for? And it's like, well, I mean, if little bat things come and try to take over the world, you gotta be able to shoot a bunch of them to save your friends. When you get into a car accident, your leg's stuck, you can't do anything. So, what did right, you think about? I was gonna ask you about the end of the movie. What about? Uh, okay. It got all hunger, Hunger Games for about. Oh five my seconds? god! Okay, I'm glad you brought that what up. Was, actually, before we move on to Between that? Worlds, but but before we move on, okay. There is an inexplicable voiceover in this movie that happens at the very beginning. And the voiceover sounds... Somehow this this woman, like, when you look her up, um, the main uh, character, right? When you look her up, she's listed as a voice actor. But somehow her acting is really good, but I feel like her voiceover acting is really bad. You know what I mean? It, it, like, yeah, it, it was, feels like she's reading a piece of paper, you know? Yeah, it was like the, it was like the Blade Runner voiceover. Like, it was there as a placeholder, and then they left it. When the things came, everybody yeah. remembers where and they she's were. Out there, it's inexplicable. She's out there with a bow and arrow. It was such a yeah. – it was such trying to pander to the Hunger Games young adult bullshit. Right, right. Which it doesn't sit very comfortably with this movie because it had – you know, unlike uh, um, the Quiet Place and Bird Box, it has some very cruel moments in it. Yeah, there's some um, there's some kind of uh, sadistic early moments that wouldn't make for a good young adult property. But they certainly had visions of of the silence of the series at that in that last moment. Right. When she's right. she's in the woods going full Katniss. Well, they're just they're, and here's the thing. Here's the thought that I will wrap up on. The biggest problem with the silence is that it's not that intimidating of an enemy. I don't care if you make it so that they reproduce fast. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you make it that, you know, that they gang up on people. And, like, I at no point believed that this was not a problem that the military or some well-armed rednecks couldn't easily take care of. Like, are you yeah. kidding me? Like, between the wood chippers, flamethrowers... Uh, machine guns, grenades. Like, you're telling me that these things actually overtook the world. There's no way. Yeah. I, uh, There's I no think way. that the, the scariest, the, I think you're right. The Potentially the scariest thing here is going to be when Netflix busts out their grassroots silence challenge, like their bird box challenge. Uh-huh. Where people will attempt normal everyday activities, but with their mouths taped shut. That's that's cool. that's 
that's when we should really start to worry because people like with the bird box challenge, they're going to hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. Can't, you can't drive a car with tape on your mouth. You can't talk on the Why phone not? with yeah, tape on you your can, mouth. You can drive a car with tape on your mouth. No, no, dude. No, no, no. no. You, <laughs> okay. When's the last time, when's the last time you drove a car and you didn't sing along to what was on the radio? When has that ever happened? Uh, I think what I do is I I think I, I talk to myself more than I sing. Well, you, well, you can't during the yeah, silence challenge. True. You that's cannot true. talk to yourself. Damn, I'd probably fucking end up killing somebody. I'd probably like, shoot saying. somebody in the face. Yeah. I'm saying, when is Netflix going to take responsibility for their viral sensations? Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, between but, worlds, between worlds, you're. I hope you're ready to talk because I am. I have less thoughts about this movie than maybe any movie in the history of the world okay i say well, that, in I that, say that okay now. so that that being the case that being the case um i will briefly summarize it and then you give me your briefest of thoughts and then i'll talk okay okay, okay. Su- summarize the movie i will okay. say i'm so- i can't wait because i couldn't follow it i don't know i think i'm i think i'm getting too old to follow Nicholas Cage's uh-huh. straight to video, let's pay for my new boat movies. I couldn't follow right. this fucking movie. Right. right. What so <clears throat> Okay, so I'll start off by saying that what I think this movie is missing is a lot of uh, visual cues that would have allowed you to kind of understand what was going on. Or Dave David Lynch, because this director loves David Lynch. Apparently so, yeah. Um Okay, so in this movie, Nicholas Cage plays a man named Joe yet again. I'm beginning to think that he has created a sort of occult avatar named Joe, and that's just the same person he's playing in all these movies because he's been Joe in about four yeah. of his last ten movies. And he was kind of Joe-like. If you The movie Joe, he's a little similar. Yeah, exactly. He's like, he's like a hard-drinking, motorcycle-fixing hunter in Joe. Exactly, exactly. So he plays Joe, who's a trucker, who's kind of down on his luck, right? At the beginning of the movie, you find out he owes some money, but he can't pay it. He's got this uh, stringy, greasy hair and a bunch of rings. He's wearing, he's wearing, just wearing a shitload of rings. <laughs> but but not on his pinkies. I noticed he had them on just the three fingers yeah, of each hand. But yeah. not, like, pinky, that was a bridge too far for uh-huh, Joe. Uh-huh. So he um, he's at a gas station. He's buying some stuff. Uh, you get this really up close shot of the clerk's butt crack, and then the clerk tries to sell Joe some hostess uh, snacks, which he declines. This is when you know you're getting into like bad movie. It, they go down these weird rabbit because holes, you, yeah, because right? because you, your summary your summary sounds like a an undergrad fictional story where you're going and then he took one bite of cereal and then he took another bite of cereal yeah, yeah, and then yeah. he took a puff on his cigarette. There's a clearly trouble when you have to break it down moment to moment like this, but go ahead. Sure. Okay. So then he goes to the bathroom and finds a woman being choked, right? And the woman is played by Franca Potente. I hope I'm pretend, uh, pronouncing that right, but she's the woman from uh, run Lola run, right? That, um, oh, that was her. Yeah, that was her. See, so I, had, I had a good feeling about her. Yeah, she's a great actress. And she's probably like, she, bless her heart, is like trying her best to like be the rock throughout this movie to like make it have an emotional through line uh, when everybody else, including like the rest of the stars and the director and the cinematographer, 
and the whoever's doing the the Angelo Badalamenti uh, impression that isn't actually oh my god dude dude that was him it that it's the theme was the theme score was. by angelo Badalamenti. No, no it says the theme was by him not the score right so so he, who was doing all those that those jazzy little like brush somebody, drums that somebody who really likes twin peaks somebody who really likes twin peaks that was not him i think he did the theme because i'm assuming you have to pay him a shitload of money to do an entire score okay um so anyway so he finds this woman being choked he beats the shit out of the guy who's choking her, and this is the first moment that you have a weirdo Nicolas Cage moment. He's beating the shit out of this guy, and he says, we don't choke women in the South. Why don't you wrestle with a man-gator? <laughs> Here, say, say that again. I'm going to give you the, the Twin Peaks music and say it again so people okay, can get cool. the whole vibe. Right? We don't hit women in the South. Why don't you wrestle with a man-gator? That's the that's line, pretty, dude. So that's, that's pretty much the whole movie. That's a little little window into that entire so it's a, movie. It's a, it's a strange scene, and I I found it kind of cool. I liked it. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, but, okay, before I finish up the plot summary, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this movie, dude. So, like, immediately, like, you know how you can just sometimes tell this is not going to be good and you know it based on how it feels to me this felt like an episode of silk stockings like the directing was at about that level and it had that same washed out color palette that silk stockings had you know what i'm talking about you remember the show on usa yeah yeah it was yeah. like kind it of was, like a sex detective show it was, t- right? it was tv yeah it was tv kind of like the way the silence was a tv movie these were this these was even movies. more so dude this was like late right. 90s tv it okay? looked it looked ratty even by netflix standards mm-hmm. it looked really bad so like i'm already kind of thinking like the, okay the most i'm gonna get out of this is if i just like if it has some kind of personality which it did sort of so anyway so he beats up this guy and the woman goes, what are you doing? Why did you beat him up? That was really important. Uh, so it turns out when this woman is choked, she can enter the spirit realm. <laughs> and uh, her daughter recently got into a motorcycle accident. So she was trying to enter the spirit realm to usher her daughter back to her body. Unfortunately, she is not able to do that. What, she, what happens She's instead... in the spirit world, asshole. <laughs> What she does instead is actually, um, I just want to like, for people who are listening, I want to give them an impression of what this movie's like. When Cage first meets this woman, uh, for some reason they're standing outside of their truck and uh, he's like, he shows her a picture of his wife and daughter. He's like, this is my family. And she says, oh, they're just apropos of nothing, right? So anyway... When she's trying to get her daughter back into this body, she actually gets uh, Cage's ex-wife's spirit into that body. So the movie becomes a very interesting kind of like, um, I say interesting. Slow slow down. Slow down on interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It took me way too long. Actually just stopped recording and then started again. Okay, well, here we, I guess, I guess we must have rolled it over. Yeah, we're we're officially at two files now, so cool. Um, uh oh. Anyway, it took me way too long to realize that 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 possession had happened. That's how out of sync I was watching this. Oh really? See, I knew that as soon as she woke up. I, well, I, you yeah. you must have a hotline right to Nicolas Cage's brain because 
I was staring at it like, what the fuck is going on? Right. And and it was and I, I don't think it's because I can't follow movies. I mean, I can I can tell you exactly what happens in Lost Highway and it's not even a theory. But I couldn't at last night tell you what the fuck was going on in this movie. Right. right. Until until it was spelled out for me to a, to an embarrassing degree. But Yeah. Okay, so basically, what ends up happening is like it's it's like a it's a love triangle between this woman who's just like trying to make her life work, and uh, and her possessed daughter who is trying to get back with uh, I guess her husband, right? Um, lots of really bad simulated sex. I don't know if it's supposed to be as bad as it is, or if Nicolas Cage actually just like just fucks like he's just like throwing his body into somebody dude. else's body as, as hard as he can dude that uh, was the part that i thought was hilarious when he says before the first sex scene he says uh you know uh i don't even remember how to have sex and then they have sex and in the middle of it he punches the lamp mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it made me think does that mean he just remembered and that's what you do you punch a lamp if you're yeah. if you're having sex you punch right. punch the nearest lamp right or is that what happens when you're confused you know what i mean like, oh, yeah, it's, oh is, this, is this how it works? You just smash yeah, the arm clack and you just flap uh, yeah, your arm. Flap your arms know. like a bird. This is how sex works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, see, the thing is, dude, I liked all those details. So here's what I think about this movie, okay? All right, cool. Um, so I think what I was saying before <clears throat> that was that there are a lot of moments in this movie that I really – liked i guess conceptually but it's well, you texted me uh you said it had personality <laughs> yeah yeah it's got personality man and like i just think i actually put most of the blame here on the cinematographer i feel like if this was a well shot movie we'd be having a different conversation about it yeah i mean that's the case with anything right like what is the the silence was directed by um it was somebody – oh, I, I Googled it, and it said uh, director of Joe Dirt. And the butterfly effect too, yeah. Yeah, and it's like of course it was because, you know, there was it was flat and there was no depth of anything and it was CGI creatures and cheap cars. And this movie, at least it was a little – it was also flat. It also felt like TV, but it didn't – try to have a CGI car crash instead it just had like Nicolas Cage working on a motorcycle in slow motion hose hosing yeah, somebody up. Yeah. So Which that's how great would those scenes have been if it was shot on like a really good camera with like some really good music and like I mean I I just I feel like I see a different version of this movie where it's not shot like a late 90s TV show. Right, it's because where this it's actually had, really good. There was too much Twin Peaks worship going on. I mean the Twin Peaks music was fun for a minute, but then the director threw in Marilyn Manson's Put a Spell on You, which didn't make which, sense. I know it made no sense. It was during the host scene, which is one of the good really good scenes in it. But, like, no one gets to use that song after Lost Highway. I mean, yeah. what a terrible move. The, that song Was that is Lost owned. Highway? Yes, it's, it's like owned by Patricia Arquette. She strips at gunpoint to that song. Really? If you remember that scene in Lost Highway, it's I like burned into, my, it's burned into my brain. I remember the Ramstein scene with, with Marilyn Manson in the snuff <laughs> movie. I remember <laughs> right. that part. Right. I mean, 
you just if you're already doing the then and if you do put a spell on you it's like what are you doing and like you can't take the that scene that is so well known except to you apparently apparently me yeah Uh Yeah. to and then just have nick cage and some nobody playing with a guard nose like you that you didn't reclaim it you got to re you can but i will say i thought it had the perfect use of leader of the pack right right that 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 was was the that was the movie taking some ownership of that song like it's it's the only play, part that I really, really liked as far as the music in the scene. It's too bad it had CGI fire that, like, yeah. fucked it up. Right. And I guess that's just a, a way for Nicolas Cage to throw some more, like, Ghost Rider shit into movies that he loves right. so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, did, didn't you expect him to crash out of the house with, like, a skull head? Like, <laughs> slinging shit. Well, there's a lot of that weird stuff in this movie, right? So there's, like, kind of like the, I think the scene that I think turned a lot because apparently according to you a lot of people were really into this movie and there's a scene where he's having sex with this girl who's also his wife and she asks him to read her uh, something called memories right Mm -hmm. and so he's having sex with her and they're kind of intercutting that with him having sex with his actual wife but while he's doing it he's reading from a book of poetry called memories by nicholas cage right and i think that's the scene where everybody's like oh this is fucking brilliant this is great and i'm like that's cool and again much in a much better movie that would have been like the thing that pushes it over the edge into like you know insane brilliance or whatever people keep talking about it people keep talking about with Nicolas Cage, there are the movies that he's just doing to pay for another house or something. Or a Tyrannosaurus Rex skull or whatever, yeah. Or did you hear that he has, somebody said in some interview, he has a whole wing of his house that's like a reptile wing. So it's uh, just it's just a bunch of aquariums and exotic lizards. He's a like, fascinating dude. Well, that, that's an awesome thing to buy. Like, if you're yeah. going to waste money... Yeah, you could have a sweet reptile wing because you know it's not like oh fuck I got to take care of these lizards today, you know he's got to hire somebody to take care of those lizards. So that means he makes left behind so that he can pay the guy who takes care of all his lizards. Right. I mean, because that's no joke taking care of fucking lizards. Um, it's not like a fish tank. Right. You got to. Were you? Did you have a lizard as a kid? No, I didn't. No. That's I a very. A, I, had, I had a cat. That's it. Oh, that's the thing. You guys, you know, you live in in the west or the southwest where li- where you're flicking lizards off your car in the morning uh-huh. you know in ohio that was an exotic pet we oh, were dropping okay. dropping a hundred bucks on a fucking stupid lizard that people are like get them off my mailbox you yeah, know right and like uh so we we really like lizards in ohio but i would have these nightmares about taking care of lizards that i i just like you know they're always fucked up you know they're as a kid like a junior high kid taking care of lizards they were always like kind of mutilated in the aquarium eating each other Uh you know tails falling off and attacking each other Mm -hmm. and i i still to this day have dreams about like did i feed the lizard is the did i feed it you know what i mean so when i think about his wing of aquariums and lizards like that's i i feel pretty close to Nicolas cage in those moments like i feel like he's trying to make it right Right. You know, anyway, and anyway. it's like, and you know, I think, I think the reason why he does have a cult of fans 
is that he's a very singular actor, right? He's doing something that in most of his movies doesn't make any sense. And I think well, that's, you really you have to have like a Panos Cosmatos type dude right, who's able right, to right, wrangle right. that into right, like, yeah, something like some, that fits, you know? Some, that's, I guess that was the point I was trying to make is that sometimes people, these indie directors luck out. Yeah. You know, he'll is he going to show up? Sometimes right. he shows up, Some, like in Joe and in Mandy. Right. And I guess to some extent, this, this movie, those people he lucked out. He shows up here. He shows he, up here for I sure. Agree. Yeah. I agree. He, he showed up. Sometimes he doesn't show up. There's, you know, for every bad lieutenant um, where he shows up, there's a dozen more straight to video, net, buried in Netflix. Well, not yeah. buried maybe because people there's a lot of people that watch everything he's in. And he's not showing up for those. So people people get excited when he shows up, but I guess he's not in the he doesn't get to get the really good movies anymore. So you get this kind of half-ass. Well, you twin see him you see him people. having fun, right? And I feel like that's a little bit contagious. And I do think that like he makes such weird decisions with like how he. There's a scene in this movie where him and uh, Franca Patente are smoking weed and sitting on the floor. And mm-hmm. she warns him, like, hey, my daughter might try to fuck you just to, like, make me mad, whatever. But she might make goo-goo eyes at you. And he has this, like, extended, I think it goes on for about two minutes, where he's laughing at the term goo-goo eyes. And it's just crazy. <laughs> There's something You're to be like, said for watching him. What's going on here? Yeah, he is in, doing it? he's in that stage of his career. Like, all those guys eventually... You know, it's it's not like like with Tarantino. He's going to make ten movies and supposedly retire. And uh-huh. it, like he's not going to fall down the trap of grinding out these terrible movies. Right. But with with actors like you see with De Niro, you see with like Burt Reynolds, these big yeah. dudes. Right. They they start. They have these this perfect career, and then it turns to shit because they'll do anything. Yeah, yeah. It's and I, like I don't know opposite, if that means it's like an opposite Daniel Day Lewis, right? So he does right. like one movie, and he's like, "I'm done. I'm never I'm doing done. it again." Yeah. People, all these people just grind him out. And uh, I feel like people understand that with him. There's been this contract with the audience where we're still going to stick by you. And he knows it or something. And he gives a little wink. He's, he's like, are you watching this bullshit? Because I'm going to throw you a bone. You're watching this bullshit. Well, here's what I think he does so brilliantly. Okay. And I think he does it in this movie. I think he does it in a lot of movies. He plays drunk people like no other actor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So like... A lot of actors will whenever plays, it's, whenever it's plays time, and, and scare quotes plays drunk yeah, actors. Right, yeah, good point, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Whenever some actors are doing drunk, right, they'll slur their speech, they'll be a little clumsy, but he's actually like a drunk person is when they're drunk. And I found that out in this movie because he's also he gets drunk in Mandy. There's that famous scene in the bathroom, which I that's think the, is maybe the best scene in the movie, right? That's that's the Kubrick scene. That looks he's just getting like fucked a, up in the bathroom. Stanley Kubrick he's just like scene. getting slowly crazier and crazier. In this movie, I first noticed it because there's a scene where the, the whole movie takes place in Alabama, and then all of a sudden, inexplicably, he's like, oh, "I was thinking about," but like he puts on this accent, and I'm like what is he doing? He has not had an accent this entire movie. Like, why is he all of a sudden a Southern guy? And you realize he only does that when his character is like deep into the booze, right? The next time he puts it on is when he's fighting with the, like the creditors who took his truck, right? So they repossess his Mm -hmm. semi and they, they say like, you can't get it back. 
and, and he's on the phone with him. He's like, I don't give a good goddamn. And you realize while he's doing that, he's drinking a bunch of whiskey. So I think he's actually making him or the director, I don't know, is making this really smart decision that like when he gets really fucked up, all of a sudden this accent appears. Is that that that's that's the line everybody was that's why we were gonna watch this because people were excited about the quotes in it. Is uh, isn't that when he when he's arguing with those guys, isn't that when he says, A man isn't a man without a truck? No, no, no. <laughs> that's that that's a different scene. But he do, he actually doesn't say that with the thick uh, accent. Okay. He doesn't. He says it in like normal Nicolas Cage voice when he's. I like I like how you watch this horse shit like the fucking Zapruder film, like, <laughs> frame by frame. You're like, listen, listen. He dropped he dropped his L's. He's he's doing. He's, well, he's doing, brilliant, but he's doing brilliant. something, dude. I swear to God, he's he's actually doing something here, and it might not work, but it also makes me think like, well, I know people in real life who who talk like you and me, and then you get. You know, three mm. shots of whiskey in him, and they're like, "Well, I'm about to go down to the hitching post." And right, or you, my, or you get a little, yeah. you get a little Twitter in him, and they start going, "Y'all, listen up." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, yeah, oh. yeah. It's like it's so you're this. A, you're a, this. You're a white, a white guy from Michigan. Why are you saying y'all? Yo, can we talk for a second about like how people are just like using straight white men as a placeholder for annoying people? It's like I read this a lot, and I'm like, I think you mean to say like. <clears throat> annoying people because didn't we didn't we see something with like the this black hole picture and somebody's like oh it's just straight white men have a problem with it and i'm like i have seen zero straight white men that have a problem with the black hole picture i like, didn't I, I didn't know that i honestly didn't know the black hole picture was controversial <laughs> in any way i feel like there's a lot of layers there where we have to figure out what about it would offend White straight white men. Some people like made jokes about it, and they were like, "Oh, it's a black hole." That's that's the thing. Like, like, but it's like, but but pretty much unanimously, as far as I can see, unanimously, people are like, "This is dope." And then I see this post, and I'm like, and and it's like, ugh, the only people I see who have a problem with with this picture are straight white men. And it's like, what are you talking (laughs) about? Who are these mythical straight white men? who conveniently I mean, I hate guess, everything that you think is good. Who are these they, people? The, the my, my gay white male friends in my Facebook feed are making a lot of jokes about fucking the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> that, does that count as not taking it seriously? I don't know. I don't I even don't, know, dude. I mean, I think I, it's I'll great. I think, I think everybody who had everything involved with it, it's cool. I think it's, I think it's badass. And I think most people, most people probably look at that and think like, huh, pretty bad well, it looks like doesn't it look like uh interstellar like it turns out that mm-hmm. uh nolan had that pretty accurate as far as what you're gonna say i well, always assumed it, it looks like, like a black hole right it looks like a well, hole with a ring of something around it you know well it's, more of a, well it's more of an ellipsis right it's more or an elliptical isn't it like uh i always assumed it would be a swirling like whirlpool because I, of the disney movie uh-huh, yeah. But it, but it turns out you don't what you're seeing is the effect of it on other things right. rather rather than a toilet being flushed in space, which I, I always thought it would look like because I I actually like that Disney movie. Um, but anyway, speaking of uh, um, weird exchanges, a lot of a lot was being made out of that man isn't a man without a truck because I brought that up earlier. Uh, I'm more interested in what is said right after that as far as an example of some weirdness in this movie, like, do you remember what happens right after that? 
Oh, can you hear me? I lost you. Lost you. Lost you. Hello? Hello? I lost you. Can you hear uh, me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, cool. No, I don't remember. What is it? Oh, um, yeah, I'll just start that whole thing over. So the, the, he has that line, a man is a man without a truck. But um, the rest of that exchange is much more interesting where he the, he has to give a reason why he um, was late, right? Mm -hmm. Remember? Yeah. And he goes, he goes, listen, there was an accident and I had to drive a woman to the hospital in Alabama. And the guy responds, he goes, well, that is an elaborate sob story. You should sell <laughs> You should sell that to tell a novella. What about that is elaborate? Is there something yeah, missing? Yeah, yeah. And also That's he says you should sell that to tell a novella, which is a, a genre of soap opera. What you a know? weird exchange. That's when my brain started to derail, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I'm losing minutes. I've, I've been abducted, and this I'm losing the, minutes. Okay, I'm glad you brought this up, man, because this movie does actually cross into the, like, the territory of the room. Okay, and it's like, where does the line exist between something that is so inside the head of a psychopath that it only makes sense to a psychopath and we can enjoy it because of that? And then something like this, like, where is the well, I, feel I guess what like... I'm trying to say is like, where does the wink exist? Does the wink exist in this movie? I think that at this point, people just want to see Nicolas Cage have fun. And it's kind of like the opposite of Harrison Ford. Nobody wants to see Harrison Ford in a movie anymore because he's clearly not having any fun. Right. He's miserable. But at, at Nicholas in Blade Cage, Runner 2049, when he's when the he's thing is so filling sad. up with water, I just pictured him like looking at the camera being like, let me drown. He's please. so sad. <laughs> he is so sad. But every so often, you know, and Nicolas Cage is also very sad and like left behind. But sometimes he's having fun. And I think people, I think it's just infectious. And it helps that, did you notice he seems to have tattoos of his movies all over him? I never noticed this I until this. I did not notice that. In, in this movie, I was looking at his tattoos and he has ghostwriter tattoos all over him. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, well, that's interesting because it's, he's famous for loving ghostwriters so much that he wanted to be in it. And he made those two shitty ghostwriter movies, but clearly loves them. And I thought, there's no way that he said, did he go up to this director and say, listen, I need ghostwriter tattoos for this character. <laughs> and, and they said, that's another movie, buddy. And he's like, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. Trust me. But I, no, I, I Googled it and he actually, those are on his body for real. And then no I noticed. Way. Those are his tattoos? That, yeah. Those are his real tattoos. Those so are that, terrible tattoos. Did you notice that he also has a... The man a, spent $3 million <laughs> on a Tyrannosaurus Rex skull, and those are his tattoos? <laughs> those are his tattoos. He loves Jesus Ghost Rex. Jesus Christ. And he, but he also has the tiger. That tiger that's at the end of Mandy is on his arm, too. Yikes. So, But that, that might be a chicken or the egg scenario. Like, he might have showed up to Mandy. Sure, tigers they, are pretty common, yeah. Yeah, and also, and the guy from Mandy, you know, that director said, all right, we're going to incorporate that somehow. Right. <laughs> we're going to put, and that became became a big motif. Like, the tiger is literally in that movie now. So, like, I just, and, and I, that's when I kind of started to get it. I th started to think, I'm happy for him regarding Ghost Rider. He clearly loves Ghost Rider. Well, also, I, can we talk about how he just, he looks <laughs> like shit in this movie? Like, he just looks like absolute shit. It's pretty bad. He should play, him and uh, Cusack should do uh, one of these um, 
print on demand specials. There's a scene look, where like the, the girl walks up and she's like, Oh, my mom's not here. I guess it's just you and me. And he's like fixing her bike. And he just, he looks <laughs> terrible. You know, it's like pretty- he looks up at her and like his hair is stringy and greasy and he's, he's fat. He looks just awful. He's like, Oh he looks yeah. Pre- he looks pretty bad, but he, but he also looks pretty happy. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know. People get excited and they get a tattoo. This dude, I'm happy that he seems to be really excited about his, him bringing Ghost Rider to the screen. Yeah. And does that mean, but it got me wondering, like, is he covered with the tattoos of his movies? Is he like, right, is he, right. is he like a, a memento situation where he, to remember the shit he's been in? It's like John Travolta's like... face on his thigh or something. <laughs> yeah. Or he's got like, he's got like the words left behind written on his penis. <laughs> or, <no. laughs> or actually it's okay. Wait, so flaccid, it would say left behind, but right. erect, it, erect, it would say bad Lieutenant port of call New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this guy is clearly is very excited yeah. and when he's excited people get excited for him so I, that's yeah. the best thing i can or say like con arrow across his ass and the o is when you well, you know you get it right you get it. yeah he's like memento he, has, yeah. he he says to he looks in the mirror and he's like what have i done <laughs> I love this idea of Nicolas Cage waking up every morning, forgetting that he's a movie star, and just like going to the mirror and being like, "Oh shit, Ghost Rider, Con Air." How many Ghost Riders was I? Wait a minute, I'm a fucking movie star. Why is this tattoo of Arizona on my calf? Wait a minute. Oh shit. <laughs> And he just every day is like that. Like he shows up to the set completely oblivious to the fact that he's actually an actor. They're just like, Nick, you got to go to work. He's like, oh, okay. Well, later on today, I'm going to buy a fucking pteranodon penis. And they're like, that's cool, man. You can do that. But just show up to work today. And he's like, okay, so what am I doing? Rolls up his sleeve, little shaving foam. Shaves a little hair, and he's like, this is where I got to get the tattoo. Did you ever watch uh, the show Community? Uh, yeah, I, well, a couple of them. I never got into it. I heard, there, I there's hear... an episode with uh, where Danny Pudi's character, who's like this kind of autistic guy, he's uh, he's taking a class, right, <laughs> at the community college, and it's called Nicolas Cage, Good or Bad, right? <laughs> and he does his, his final thesis, and he actually goes insane, trying to figure out if Nicolas Cage is good or bad. And he begins like acting out Cage's parts. And it's kind of like the perfect encapsulation of just how he is as an actor. Because you can never tell. Because sometimes he'll be fucking amazing. I think early on, he was undeniably good early on. I think only only now are people tying themselves in knots trying to figure it out. I mean, if you look at leaving leaving Las Vegas, there's no camp in there. That's no, just that's good. a that's a great performance. Man. Yeah, that's that's just good. Yeah. Um, I, I would even argue that Joe is not campy at all. It's solid all it's the way not. through. Yeah, no, it's he, very he show, serious. It's, he it's showed a good up. Movie. Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely showed up for that one. It kind of feels um, like if he has a director that's gonna direct him, he'll do it. Right. Otherwise, he's gonna do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, there was just some fucking fucking up in this. Like the the fact that the supernatural aspect at the beginning is tossed off so quickly 
me, you know, like how she has to be choked to talk to ghosts. Mm. It, that I think that steps on the punchline of the possession later. Right. So it doesn't it doesn't build towards anything. It feels right. very much like an episode of a, a Twin Peaks fan fiction kind of deal. Yeah. And also, I have a problem, and this is completely out of left field, but I have to bring it up here on the podcast. I have a real problem with the nudity in this movie. So <laughs> you have this woman who's... I don't remember any nudity. I, weren't those st- strategic placed underwears? That's right. There are strategic placed underwears. And also, in the big sex scene between like kind of the main uh, femme fatale and Nicolas Cage... You see a ton of like side boob, but no actual titty, and I'm pissed about that. It feels like TV. It felt like a TV it was show. Like, why not just show the titty? Like she's walking around without a bra for most of the movie. You know, you can kind of make it out. You're like, oh, cool. I'll get and to you see, see those later. And, and then, you see a lot of his. You see a lot of his chest. You know, you see you, all that chest. You see all that. What's that does? This is we're, this is the whole ruse as far as a sexual revolution. We're like free the nipple, man. Just free the <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you, you end up seeing fucking Nicolas Cage's fucking gross nipples. Equality. And then, yeah. We just we just want it to be fair. Yeah, we just yeah. want it to be fair. But I did. I actually did have a problem with that. Like when I'm watching it, I'm like, why? For for how explicit this movie feels, you don't actually see anything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it's very it's very judicious with how, like, there's even like the the sex scene that he has with uh, Franca Potente where it's like she takes her bra off and immediately like his hands are. So we have to watch Nick well, Cage flopping this? around. We have to watch him flopping around like a fucking. Just like a battering ram, you know. Is this is that's why we're seeing Nicolas Cage running amok mm-hmm. uh, with his ball, his balls hanging out because it's the female gaze. We're no, not seeing think, a woman I like think, we want to. We, we're really being denied think, the male gaze. I think that Nicolas Cage should show us his dick. Just, just go full out, man. I like, thought he did for a second. Didn't you think he did for a second when he comes out with a second. shirt, yeah. a shirt hanging down, but he's got some speedo on with yeah. like a like a tiger pattern or something on just show us the dick man you know i want to i want i want to see the full-on titty but i i also i want to see that dick man let's see it you can't show it because it says left behind on it (laughs) (laughs) it was a better movie it would say bad lieutenant port of call new orleans yeah yeah exactly it says that it says that too it says that certain times yeah anyway that might be a perfect joke because I'm going to have to look at the letters in Left Behind and Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. And if all the same letters are in there, then that, that actually works. They're not, works they're not even close. They're, it's not oh. even close. No, not, not even close. It's got to be close. No, no, no. What they, is that old joke? What is it? The old joke where the guy's uh, he's at a urinal and he looks down, the guy next to him has a, a tattoo on his penis and it says, hi, um, or hello, or and he says... He, I don't even know how it goes, but he's like, "What does that say?" And he says, "Oh, it's a, it says, uh, hello, welcome to Jamaica, and have a nice day.'" <laughs> One time I was, was at a urinal, dude. This is the only time I've had like a, a weird gay panic in my life. I was at a I was at a urinal in an airport, right? And this guy, this like balding dude, got into the stall next to me, and I swear, like he looked over the stall, like he just he put his whole head over he's like hmm 
nice. First of all, <laughs> no, it's not nice. It's extraordinarily average. So you're just trying to you're just trying to butter me up, dude. You're just trying to this is like the foot tapping thing, right? Like this is just like but I just I very I was just like, uh, thank you. And I like washed my hands and left. And I'll never forget that. That was just such a weird thing. And I think back, I'm like, should I have, should I kick that guy's ass? I don't know. I guess not. Uh, nah, I, he, was just, he was just being nice, I suppose. He just, I don't, I don't even know. But uh, I think that's where they put those, those horse blinders on the urinals now from all the compliments we get when we're urinating. Right. <laughs> I'm not saying you're projecting. <laughs> I'm saying that the fact that you imagined an entire <laughs> an entire internal monologue of the guy who costed <laughs> says more about you than the guy. It, it totally <laughs> does. It <laughs> totally <laughs> does. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm just I'm 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 just a very insecure, broken person. It's true. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that it's not normal for you to have a little puppet show at the end of the day where you reenact <laughs> where you reenact that encounter. Over and over till you get it just right. Until you say, <laughs> until you say, until like, you say oh, oh, just nice the right penis, thing. sir. Oh, you get three, three, three wishes, and you all three of them would be like, "Can I just have that day over again so I can get it right? So I can do it right? It's, I've never gotten it right." <laughs> it's Groundhog Day, but it's just that time at the urinal just with, the with a guy. <laughs> Oh, that's so fucking funny, dude. That's so true. Like, every time you unzip your pants, it's like, huh. Nice. Three more weeks of winter. 